David, whether you have a few weeks old puppy or a senior who's seen multiple decades, any dog person like me knows the most valuable thing in the world is spending time with your pet. Yep. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with your lovely dog. Yeah, well, I've heard farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. And, you know, that's what everyone's looking for. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced. Uh, it's made from human-grade ingredients. Safe, clean kitchens, all that stuff matters. Yeah. I mean, you love your dog. Why Why get the lousy food for your dog? Farmer's dog is the best. Traditional dry and wet dog food options are extremely processed. Sometimes dogs- much lower quality. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put it in their bowl and they go, what is this kibble? And they knock it away. What is this canned goo? Oh, yeah. I've had our dog, yeah, look at the bowl yeah. and then kind of crank its neck up and look at me. And it was like, really? They go, really? Why don't you go first? You want a bite of this? Slop. <laughs> and it makes that sound. Here you go, dog. Mm -hmm. So Farmer's Dog isn't just no. higher quality food. They also send the food pre-portioned specifically for your dog based on their unique nutritional needs. It makes it easy to help your dog reach and stay at their ideal weight, David. And which is one of the biggest indicators of a full, healthy life. A fresh diet has been found to have all sorts of benefits, David, from healthier coat mm -hmm. and skin, better breath, if you want to kiss your dog, and even easier digestion and smaller and better poops. Let's look at a clip. It doesn't matter <laughs> if your dog's young or old, it's always the right time to invest in their health for more happy years with your dog. Get 50% off your first box at farmersdog.com slash fly. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use your code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. Now we can go to the show. The truth is, Jennifer Lopez, if you've noticed, and I'm not a conspiracy guy, mm -hmm. she gets married, then does a wedding about getting married. No, she gets married, then does a movie about getting married, then mm -hmm. gets married, then does a movie about getting married, <laughs> then gets divorced, one more movie about getting married. Does that sound like it's possible? Mm. Mm. I see where you're going with that. There's a lot of machinations. <laughs> you have a PR person, you know, FYI, it wouldn't be bad if you were seen dating so-and-so. That's true. Clicks and views, David. I know you think it's romance. Emily Ratajkowski we're trying to do good work, but it's all about clicks Eric and views. Andre. Who is? Emily Ratajkowski. She's on a real tear. Uh, Emily Ratatowski, yeah. Get with the program, Dana. She should shorten that to Emily R. I think Ratatowski's too. How about Emily the Rat? <laughs> <laughs> that seems kind of mean in a way. No. Calling her a rat, I'm just it's saying. Cute. Ratatouille was cute. I turned down the voice of Ratatouille. No, you that did not. Yes. We just stumbled into it. I scoop. went and visited Pixar. They wanted me to do the, the lead rat. And I said, it was a, during... Bush Jr.'s administration. It's during the bubonic plague. A French rat. I thought, this is going to go down. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be the guy who took down Pixar. Next thing you know, wow. 700 million. 700 mm -hmm. M later. I don't make good choices. No. Um, all right, we're going to talk about Jimmy Kimmel. First Dana. of all, how was your Christmas? Oh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, horrible. Um, <laughs> No, Did you it get was sad eyes. You know, when someone says, "Don't give me anything," and then that morning you see the sad eyes. I hate that. You mean that because you didn't give me anything? Yeah. No, I don't. I don't need anything. And then you see the sad eyes. A lot of people cheat. They say no presents, and then one person does it. You said, "Don't give me anything." I just said, "Okay." Yeah, <laughs> we're fine. Uh, my mom does a thing. Uh, she does two things. First of all, she gives you lazy bags, which are 
it's a bag you get at the store with a piece of Kleenex and the presents in it. And I go, this isn't a present. This isn't wrapping a present. So it's a bunch of lazy bags. All you have to do is move it a I quarter totally inch. I had a name like Lazy Susan. <laughs> lazy bags. Yeah, I coined it. Lazy bags. <laughs> That's cool. And she goes, oh, it's only lazy bags this year, but it's fine. I'm uh, 88. So she gave me that. It was great. <laughs> and then, you know, my mom was always like, oh, oh Davey. Because when I go home, she goes, ding dong. And I go, I just stare and she goes, get the door. And I go, oh, what? okay. And she goes, I go, who is it? She goes, who is it? I go, I don't know, mom, it's your house. I don't know, go check. And then it's like the neighbor girl who's nine, she made me a cake. She goes, Davey, oh, she made you a cake. God, what a homecoming. And I, I go, oh, that. that's nice. Well, why'd you make me a cake? Because you're famous. I go, oh, okay. And then I go, and you go oh, give her a hug. Don't be like that. <laughs> Invite her in. Talk to her. Say hi. Do some jokes from grownups. It's so God, hilarious. You're on, totally on. You can't just relax. I can. She goes, oh, go ride bikes with her and her friends. When did you get like this? I go, mom, what? I don't understand so what I'm doing. You're going to go get on a bike oh, without a don't helmet? don't pull your showbiz routine <laughs> on us. Anyway, I want to know my showbiz routine. But Jimmy Kimmel, uh, you had a good Christmas. I'm just going to yeah, assume. It, it was fine. And uh, um, I will tell you, Dana, I heard a lot about this uh, Farley episode. Uh, I heard a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most feedback we've heard on anything. I think so. What it, does that say? All positive, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most interesting thing was uh, we were sent a uh, email that gets sent in for the questions, the Q&A stuff. And we had a lot of response about people saying, it made me quit. It made me quit drugs. Hearing, that was very emotional. Yeah. I got some of those yep. links. Yeah. That it was, was very nice that that was an offshoot of this, which was not really the intention, but it's nice that it hit people home. Because it was, as we, we sort of sold it, it was 90% fun and laughs. And then now and then you just got caught off guard. And, and it's a very real situation. So we got emotional. Um, people got emotional. Yeah, we tried to treat it with respect and mm-hmm. dignity and, and not make it. So apparently people really liked it. So that was cool. It's very interesting. And, you know, I'm going on my tour uh my tour starts back the, oh, up. never ending tour. And I'm going to Wisconsin. I'm going to Madison, where Farley's from. I'm oh. going to Milwaukee. I'm going to Appleton. All the places I had heard about, and I don't think I've ever performed there. So looking forward to that and the others. Um, Are you playing Green Bay? I don't think so. I'm trying, Mike, to, I'm trying to rally Myers Aaron Rodgers out, by the way. How is uh, Green Bay? I've been there to one game. Mike um, Myers and I, back in the day, Schwing. was touring together. And we played, I think it was Green Bay. Schwing. And they said, Schwing. They said, <laughs> <laughs> I say it like 60 minutes, not in serious. Schwing. We mm-hmm. saw in Wayne's World, too. I, I did that bit where Garth was just hanging out and he was having a conversation. So, anyway, I didn't know what to say to my dad and a girl walked by Schwing. Anyway, <laughs> so that was like the only time Wayne and I got in a fight. Schwing, Schwing, Schwing. He would hit him like, you know, boneritis. But they told Mike and I, they love it when you say cheese heads. So, we're up there as Wayne and Garth and we started going, You're a bunch of cheese heads. And we started chanting it and they started getting really, really mad and booing. Oh, they tricked you? Yeah, we had to cut the show short, jump in a car. Don't look back, Garth. You know, <laughs> Luckily, you weren't playing. So don't ratatouille. don't say hey, you cheeseheads. Even if they tell you to, as a joke. Jimmy Kimmel is going to do a. Uh, that sounded like a hard cut. Jimmy Kimmel Jimmy is going Kimmel, to interview us today. He's uh, a friend of the show. Mm-hmm. You've done his show a lot. I've done his show a lot. Uh, guest hosted. He's a great dude. You've guest hosted too. Mm-hmm. And um, Jimmy, um, we we thought of this weird idea where we get all these questions. So why 
doesn't someone interview us, it might slow us down from talking over our guests in the future. I don't think it will. I've practiced, you know, during the holiday mm -hmm. break, I practiced talking over. Like my wife would say something, I'd just jump in. Mm -hmm. You know, she goes, what are you doing? I go, I'm just practicing talking over. I know. I took a cutoff class on the learning annex, and I, I practiced it at Thanksgiving dinner. I just stop everyone in their tracks. I go, saw a story about me. And they go, oh. <laughs> Actually, the truth is I would listen. I go, during the holiday break, you should listen to the podcast. Yeah. Every time I talked, I said out loud, shut the fuck up. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> if I hear a clip of me on that thing, I'm like, even when they show those little beginnings, like a minute of audio to promote it, I go, what, what, can I just shut the fuck up? Because the guest goes, well, I like pancakes. And then I do seven minutes yes. on how I like pancakes yeah. before they can answer and then they forget. So anyway, we never said we were good at this. We're going into season two with Jimmy Kimmel. Mm -hmm. But people ask, well, how did we get on an SNL? What's our story? So. so Jimmy really asked the tough stuff. He digs deep. He mines a lot of gold, some silver and some sand. <laughs> Uh, up to you to decide. He came at it a little different, right? Because we feel like we've told this story on other podcasts, but he actually really worked hard. He had a stack of notes yeah. and asked us a lot of intense questions and a lot, asked us a lot about hosts, which was an interesting take. Yeah, it was I, at first I didn't know if he knew he was interviewing us because it was like he was just sitting there and I go, does <laughs> he think he's like being interviewed? Minutes. Yeah, <laughs> but I was like ready for the hard stuff. And it was really like, Prince Harry and Meghan. Here's a tease. He embarrassed we, we really me accidentally sang. because I won't say the name of the host. You'll listen to it on the podcast. Yeah. Of a host of SNL, yes or no, did they host? And I said no, and they had hosted oh, he was when that. I was a cast member. But I won't say it, so you have to listen to yeah, find out. But that was all due respect to that person who I forgot. It's only I spaced out. Sorry. So uh, listen to it. Here it is. We've talked enough, and here we are talking a little more. How do we start? What's our theme? Our guest today is you want me to start James start? Edward Kimmel. <laughs> I don't. We, we've already started. We've been on for four minutes. Oh, we have. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think we should establish that first of all. I've never been on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. I've only been to see the show in person one time, and that was in May of last year. Okay. Other times I've been there, but I you know get stuck in the office with. You know, a bunch yeah, of yeah, agents there. and stuff just like that. on TV up there. Yeah. And nobody's watching the show. Yeah. Everybody's just talking to each other, and it's depressing. But uh, I did get to go to see the show in May. So, of course, I'm a guess that people are probably super interested in hearing from. <laughs> I did also, you ever harbor desires? Did to you, be on Saturday Yeah, you could be update guy or whatever. Gosh, I didn't, you know, I don't have, I never set my sights that high. It, it never, <laughs> well, ever would have occurred to me. Yeah. I was just a morning radio disc jockey hoping to continue being a morning radio disc jockey. And what, what was your handle? Sorry. I was, I was known as uh, Jimmy, they called me. <laughs> Jimmy, and did you have an animal as a sidekick, Jimmy and the Bull, or Jimmy and the Tomcat here at the... <laughs> I was on uh, in L.A. I worked in a lot of markets. I started in Vegas when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Phoenix. I worked at a radio station oh, okay. there, a couple of them. Then I got a yeah. job in Seattle, worked at a classic rock station, got fired there. Went to a station in, I went back to live with my parents for a while. Then went to a station in Tampa, Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked in Palm Springs, Tucson, Arizona. Finally, L.A. at K-Rock with Kevin and Bean. And I was the sports guy there. I was Jimmy the sports guy. Sports guy. You know, it seems like a lot of wow. people on radio get fired. It, well, <laughs> especially me. They jump around, me. you know. Yeah. Yeah, well, you, what a, you, what you a memory. Like maybe the most. 
Um, Maybe the most. Yeah, I got fired a lot of times. And the worst thing about being fired in radio <laughs> is you then have to move from the city. You don't just like get another job at another radio station. You're pretty much done. Yeah. I got fired a lot too. We'll get into that. You Every, did? Everything I got, everything failed and everything sucked. But these were probably childhood jobs that you got fired <laughs> from, Paper right? Out? No, this no. is like oh. television shows and stuff. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. Well, That's I'm not, you know what? I appreciate you guys being interested in me, but I'm here today mm-hmm. to interview you guys because you guys interview all these people about Saturday Night Live. And yeah. you, as, as far as I understand, you guys were on Saturday Night Live. Now, I've not done a ton of research, but you were what, the Jesus Woman? <laughs> Jesus Woman the was Jesus her woman. original name, yes. Right. And yes. David, did you know Chris Farley? <laughs> I when Jimmy goes, I was at one show last year. You guys weren't on it. I don't get what's going on. <laughs> what happened? This is a fraud. <laughs> yeah. She said, well, I'm sure that sure is special, was her catchphrase. Oh, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. Rhythmically, no. not quite good. But anyway, yes, everyone wants to know how how do we get on the show? How yeah. do you get on the show? How do you yeah. get on and the how show? do you get on it now? That's mm. what people ask me when I when they're leaving like a restaurant. Quickly, how do you get on Saturday Night Live? And I go, Oh, do you have an hour ten? <laughs> because people want those quick quickly. How do you get into acting? You, you get those. But too. for twenty five years after being off the show, I'd still get even today. Are you are you still you still on that that Saturday Night Live show? Do you really get that? Well, at least for ten years after yeah, you leave, sure. right? Yeah. Wow. People don't keep track. Yeah, people do. You think the world revolves around you, and yet it. You yeah, and realize. I told my mom, it's pretty obvious that I'm off the show. Good night. Anyway. <laughs> you, guys. um. Come on, guys. We have a Jesus crowd. We Christ. fucking. You it's wouldn't a think lot, so. a lot of pressure when you've got a crowd. With no you, audience, there's no pressure. I know you guys have told these stories before, sure. but I think it, it seems right to mm-hmm. start with how did you get on the show? Like, we'll start with David. How pretty did you basic. get on the show? Uh. I was born in Michigan. Uh-huh. We're going to go way back. <laughs> what I was told. <laughs> that had to happen before I think got on it the takes show. so many steps uh, to get seen by in front of someone like Lauren or his talent people. It was stand up around here at the Improv Forever, uh, Arizona first, then stand up around here. And then we got to, uh, I think the big thing was I got on an HBO Young Comedian special. And when you do that, that's something that's, that's national. And then someone in the talent department saw it, and Rob Schneider was on it also. So I was in the 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 you know vortex of hey, there's about ten twenty people we should maybe look at this year. So we were brought out for an audition. Rob and I did it together, and did a stand up comedy club in New York. When you say you did it together, you did individual performances. Yes. Or you were working as a team. Yeah, and Rob and I weren't a team, but we uh, the same management, and we uh, were were buddies. And uh, we knew Sandler, we knew Judd Apatow, we knew a lot of guys we were doing stand-up with who eventually, you know, like Sandler eventually got on pretty quickly after that. So we went out, auditioned with another comic and um, did okay, not great, but they were looking at the writing and then they hired us as writer-performers. So So you submitted a packet of No, thank God, Lord Jesus. They were looking at the writing as far as the jokes that you were doing in your stand-up. And Dennis Mm. Miller told me, you don't want to kill too hard, Spudley. It's a fucking red flag. Christ sakes, yeah. They want to mold you a little bit. You come in at 11, you know, they kind of back off from that like it's a hot plate. Yeah, he goes- Boy Scout jamboree, all right? They don't want you to be a a polished road hack. I love doing dentists because my IQ goes up and my vocabulary expands. (laughs) Jeez, oh, fly on the wall, huh? Okay, that's a catchy moniker for something. Everyone loves those insects. And no offense, David, but Dana, it seems like- it's like 
your talents, it's very obvious why you got the job. I <laughs> no. mean, because yeah, David's just a funny guy. It, yeah. You know, he's not doing stu- character. No, no you're, right. you're right. It I, wasn't as easy as you would think based on my own personality or insecurity. I mean, it's a longer story, but basically the brass tax was I did a kind of cattle call audition at the Punchline in San Francisco. Al Franken was at that one. And, and years later, years later, like eight years later, he said, yeah, I, I, uh, I kind of blew it. I should have taken you, you know, but I, I was just passed over there. Uh-huh. Then I, I don't know the exact dates, but a few years before I got the show, then a, there was a giant 25 comic jamboree at the comedy store. Cattle call. Cattle call. No MC. Five minutes. Boom. Oh boy. Boom. In that original room, which is yeah, like a death room. One, yeah. Like just who six, else was there? Do you remember? Well, degrees. I remember who I followed uh-huh. at midnight. A very young, very energetic man by the name of Sam Kennison. <laughs> so <laughs> Sam goes on. Ah, 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 ah. I mean, ah, he literally ah. levitates the room. It's shaking. <laughs> it's just scorched earth. That's Pete Kennison, probably as good as it's ever been. Yeah. And Sam was hoping to get on Saturday Night Live? Maybe. He hosted the first season. But then then there's like, and now, and they never got my name right now, Dana Falankaraba, you know. <laughs> so I, I go up there, the and mics. I die. I die a death. <laughs> uh, you oh. know, well, isn't that special? I'm trying to do characters. Death knoll. So that's then that puts me in a depression for two months. In those days, you didn't. So you call- don't get it, even though you were good. You just didn't- I, I just bombed. I didn't. You, I, you couldn't follow Kennison in five minutes trying to establish a rapport, and I felt very, very nervous, which isn't a good thing. So then, freakily, in '86, they were casting again because '85 had a rough year, and um, my management team. <laughs> <laughs> New Lorne Michaels and so forth and so on. And so it came around to me and I go, okay, I'm not going to do it at the improv or the comedy store. I'm going to do it at Igby's on the West side. It's Ooh. gone now, but it was a hundred seat, yeah, tight packed crowd. I'd played there a lot. I kind of had a following. So, okay. Lorne wants to see you. So I called Rosie O'Donnell is headlining that week. I'd never met her, hmm. but the owner said, do you want to, Dana's going to bring Lorne Michaels can you fit him in? So I went there. My wife and I are driving there. And I'm as nervous as a human being can be. I didn't have the confidence I got later. Just thinking, oh, man, this is it. You know, I auditioned a lot. I've been in L.A. a lot. And we went to get some gas. Our car was out. And the, there was no gas in the gas station. We just both remembered that for years. We don't have gas here. What do you mean? We have no gas. No gas. You know. So <laughs> it's just one of those things you remember when you're scared out yeah. of your mind. So I go there. I meet Rosie O'Donnell. And she seems like her maturity and confidence, like she's 50 years old. She was completely fully formed. Just, hey, what do you want to do? So we kind of drew straws or talked about it. I'll go on first. But this time I get 40 minutes with a real audience, not an industry audience. And so I'm waiting off to the side, just like, well, let's see what what happens. And I see, I don't know what order they came in. I think it was Brandon Tartikoff. I think Lauren second. Brent, the head of the network. Lorne Michaels, and I'm like, fuck. And then it's Cher. <laughs> what? It's Cher. She got a vote? Because I didn't have enough pressure on She's me. tiebreaker. But they walked like from behind a curtain. Here he is, the head of the network, Brandon Tartikoff. And the guy who discovers all comedians, Lorne Michaels. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, Cher. Do you believe in their You know, so she's singing and dancing. So anyway, I go up. 
I at that point I had turned down a pilot a uh, spinoff from Punky Brewster two years before called Fenster Hall for $30,000. I finally said, I can't take the punishment anymore because I was being cast a lot as a, a cutesy, nice guy. 30 grand a, a week? For the pilot. Wow. So then I just did stand up like crazy in San Francisco all over. So I was in pretty good shape. I would give my set like a C, C minus. Hmm. But Lauren says later, I, I was always thinking, already thinking about how to use you on the show. So you'd have to believe that if Brandon comes to the audition and, you know, these executives don't want to go to anything ever. And Lorne comes and then they say to share, hey, why don't you join us? Well, that they probably yeah. you probably were in pretty good shape going into that. They gave me confidence. Uh, Brillstein Gray, Mark Gervitz, mm-hmm. Bernie Brillstein came to see me a month before this. Now, Bernie, if people are listening now, was kind of like a big lovable teddy bear Santa Claus. In those days, he was probably 50, but he seemed like the old timer of all time. He saw me and I'd seen people pass me over a lot. You know, he saw me and went, we're not even going to give him to Saturday Night Live. He's a fucking movie star. (laughs) That was a direct quote, you know, but I go, I kind of want to be on Saturday Night Live. (laughs) It's only my childhood dream. So I got, I had to let go of this management before who didn't want me to do the church lady. Oh, I got standing ovation at the Comedy Magic Club. They got me in the back room and they said, you got to stop doing the church lady. It was only five minutes out of a 90 minute set at that point. And they go, you're coming off gay. (laughs) <laughs> you're coming off gay what is my what was that I mean I guess so a, they don't get on TV but anyway I was able to yeah they don't we don't want them around here so they I was able wow. to jettison that management company I that, that's alright and go with Brillstein Gray and uh, and Gritz <laughs> Brillstein Entertainment Partners and that changed everything for me and then the Igby's and then I had to dish, audition another time a week later or something uh, and I thought Jim Carrey was there. I know I met Phil Hartman, and we had to go do the audition, oh. kind of like they do in 8-H. It was just 10 people and and me up there doing shtick for everybody. And Lauren would 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 kind of tilt you, I think, to test you. Do you think those terribly uh, uh, tense situations are hurdles that they want they want to see if you can clear those hurdles? Because yes. ultimately you are going to have to be on the show live, and you— can't melt yes, down. in that situation where you're kind of vulnerable up there, and I knew Dennis Miller, he was sitting there, and Nora Dunn, and and Lauren would kind of dig at you a little bit. Uh, we, we've seen enough of that. Do you have anything else? Mm-hmm. You know, right in the middle of your audition. And I think it was a <laughs> test to see when the red light comes on and it's 20 million, three, two, one, your life, your career, your family, all your loved ones counting on you, boom, can you deliver? So, you know, but... If I could, it was just from the 10,000 hours in a club. Dana, actually, a different path, obviously, more built for SNL than me. Um, and, and when he went out, his first show was cold opening church. And, and the lead guy in a lot of sketches, I was worked in almost too slowly. So it was more frustrating to go year after year writing for these guys, writing, helping, helping, writing update jokes, getting in the background. So by the time I go on, it's not quite as terrifying, but still... Still terrifying, but as I'm sure for Dana, just that first time, even though he's a seasoned performer, it's way, way different. This well, is the only my, thing that really matters. More people see you that first sketch than your all of your stand-up combined in your whole life. Yeah. My entry in there was 86, so that was pre-18 cast members. So they 
purge the year before. We had John Lovitz, Phil Hartman, and myself uh, as the ooh. primary men, and then we had Nora Dunn and Jan Hooks, the late great, great. And, and Victoria Jackson. How many? That was it? Six cast six, members? Six main cast members. We had Kevin Nealon as a feature and A. Whitney Brown, uh-huh. Dennis Miller. <laughs> so then when I got on the first show that I was there for a month, I was at Lauren Michaels' house for a month too, which is a whole other story, but I worked on the church lady character – but it wasn't. I no one knew if it would work or kill or anything. M- Lauren moved you into his home. Is that because you were coming off? Gay? Well, I got. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it I'm not I... saying you are gay, but you come off gay. <laughs> See how it uh, feels. Uh, I don't know. It's that thing of like you know, people are going to wonder, and it's good if like they really know where you're coming from. What? <laughs> I no. need a decorator. He. I don't know if David spent time. I, I spent a month in Long Island at Lauren's house. In, in Amagansett with wow. Lo- with Lorne and Paul McCartney came over and all the Chevy Chase was there and I w- I'd never been on television. He adopted you, basically. Yeah, you can you can have Jack's room. So I was in where Jack Nicholson would hang out. Oh, okay. you know I'm calling my friends back in San Francisco. I'm staying in Jack Nicholson's room. Paul McCartney and Chevy Chase are here. How are you doing? You know. Wow. So that- so. Just to go back a couple oh, of steps, if back. I could. Yes. When you guys are, like you're talking about David, auditioning yeah. with Rob, who's your friend, yeah. and you're auditioning with 25 other people, who some of whom I assume are your friends, what is it like when you get that job and then those people you auditioned with and came up with don't? You know, it worked a little different for us because I didn't really know anyone who didn't get it. Um, really? I, I met... Everyone you know got hired <laughs> yeah. by Saturday Night Live. That's pretty cool. I mean, People wanted everyone, to get to know David. <laughs> I, I was new. I was newer in town and just uh, you know doing uh, the improv and not in the comedy store. Said no to me, so I had the improv, and I didn't know that many people were, that were auditioning or got that call like Rob and I did. But uh, I knew a lot of comedians. But uh, there was one he mentioned Brandon Tartikoff, who was the most powerful person in town. If you remember back then, sure. he had Cosby Show. Every big show was on. And they said he saw you uh, do five one night at the show. He wants to meet you and maybe give you a development deal or make a show for you. And I was freaking out. I saw Kevin Pollock the day before. And he goes, this is a huge, this will be your biggest break. So they give me sides. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told you this, Dan. Sides. They give Remember me sides, sides, which is a little bit of a script. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what sides are. And I and so I had to go to a coach and just say, hey, coach me to read this shitty um, script. It's just like one scene. They just have to see, like, I'm in the vicinity of knowing what I'm doing, and they're going to give me some money to try to make a show for me. So this motherfucking uh, head of casting was there. So it was every big shot of NBC. I'm waiting, shaking in the you know, in the, in the waiting room of NBC, and we used to call Brandon, uh, call him Tartar Sauce. So I go, <laughs> I go is Tartar Sauce did. here? I can't wait all day. So I'm waiting, and then they go, uh, his name was Dennis something. He comes up. And he goes, oh, they're going to see you. Uh, it'll yes. just be a second. There's one more person there having a meeting with him. By the way, we're not doing that scene anymore. We're doing this one. And he hands me a script. It could have been in Chinese. I don't know what the fuck's going on. I go, what do you mean? I read this one? And I didn't have any coaching. So I was so new. I just walked in and read it to them. <laughs> and then they go, like thank you. Report? And that was it. Nothing. I got nothing. No development deal, bad feedback. And I had to go in and do two years of classes because, and Rob was in it with me. And because I go, I don't know enough. And I, I thought I was Eddie Murphy, just like, oh, I'm just funny. What do you need really to know? And I knew, and I had to do so much just to start getting auditions again. Fucking Dennis. 
God, it's always motherfucker. there. Okay. Yeah, he, it wasn't Dennis Miller. It was Dennis, head of casting, and I was just. Yeah. It was like slow motion. It switches the scripts. I look at this one. I probably turned it off to the universe. He's like, no, it's this way. And I'm Isn't like, it funny looking back now? Now oh, you'd go, like, no, I'm doing the other one. Yeah, that would like, be the end of it. No, no, I know this one, but yeah. no confidence at all. Just like do what you are told. I should have taken the two years of acting lessons. I, I, I once read for Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, Holy for shit. Tonto and Son. And they would pair us off. And the I gay was, kid? Um, yes. Uh, yeah. And I was, I was with this really good actress, and they paired us off. And then I'm, you know, Paul Newman was so charming, and she had a little dog, and he had red socks on, and Whoa. I bombed so bad that I ruined it for her. <laughs> I mean, it was. And then took I took her down with I can't. We walked outside, and I go, "That was kind of weird." And she goes, "Yeah, yeah, it was kind of fucking weird." And then she got in the elevator. You know, can I read with I someone just, else? I was so bad, I destroyed other careers. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a good. But I did so, a lot of shit like that. Who did you leave behind, Dana? Who was your yeah. comedy friend? Well, I would that... say that Kevin Pollock. We did a lot of stand up together. You know, great impressionist, great actor. Mm-hmm. He the the planets never lined up for him, but I thought he would be. You know, they did elsewhere, obviously. But uh, he's not done yeah, great. Yeah, 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 but that that would have been a natural fit for Kevin. Did you go when you guys were in there? Were you pushing for your friends? friends oh no, you no, the guy was not was, immediately. The guy who, you, you wanted <laughs> them, get them to hire people that you felt you could compete or dominate. You didn't want them to hire <laughs> anyone that good. You didn't want Jim Carrey in there. Yeah, I don't know is what's that the true? deal with Jim Carrey. Is that true? Or you, I mean, is that is there some truth to that? Well, statement? Well, you have no? no control over that. Right. First of all, I know that. It came down to, I think, for the final spot, you know, Lauren, as I remember, said, well, maybe um, somebody tall like Chevy. And I had been living with Kevin Nealon, where I met him before I got on SNL. Somebody tall. Somebody tall. That's what I remember. And I go, I know a tall guy. Not even that funny. Just really tall. So Rick Overton was right in the lane. The great Rick Overton was right there. So Kevin flies out, and with his kind of, his style, he was just standing in his height. God, was he tall. Oh, still is. Yeah. He's Big not. Man. He's one of the tallest comedians I've seen. Lawrence, you're hired. <laughs> he hadn't even started doing his comedy. We want you because you're tall. Um, but anyway, that Kevin nailed it. It just standing there. He, his stand-up is so casual. You didn't even know when he starts or he ends. Yeah. yeah. And he killed. And I think Lauren in those days did it a little bit like a sitcom. Like you don't. You want these different flavors. Like Phil had his lane. Lovitz had his lane. I did my thing. And then Kevin. Well, Dennis. if you have sketches, you go. Okay, who's going to play the dad? You know what I mean? Yeah. That's a legitimate thing you don't sense. think of. Yeah. I mean, you go, Phil is a solid dad every yeah. time. Game show host, going to be Phil. Right. If no one else exactly. is around. That, right. that, that's he a- was the glue. We called, I think it was my nickname, doesn't have to be. We called him the glue because he kind of held the show together. He couldn't. <laughs> I called him the sticky stuff. Oh, common and then, problem. You need some glue on that microphone. Oh, no. no Jimmy, I've always had mic problems. By the way, when I got I'm, there, I'm it com- was me and Robbie and then... We were suggesting maybe writers, Fred Wolf and some other people. And then Sandler was, I think, our first one we kind of pushed. Because Farley and Chris Rock came right after us. So we did four shows. I remember Dennis goes, Dennis is like tough love, Dad. <laughs> he goes, I, you better get something on or they're going to get rid of one of you dudes. I mean, fucking, you don't bring a guy back, you can't write for shit. I'm like, four shows? And I thought, oh, that'll be easy. Meanwhile, you, you can't even... Look like you have a decent script at read through. Everyone's like, it just so stands out as shitty, you know, until you know what's going on. Yeah. And you're competing against all these great writers. Uh, so we come, we have four, then we do the summer. We do come back. But when I walk in, that's Rock and Farley. So now those guys get to be our crew. Sandler gets there maybe three months later. So 
about pushing for Sandler, I would just say, yeah, this guy kills and he does well. I didn't know. I had barely any influence there, but just one more voice saying he's great, and then Sandler sort of parlayed every strong movie has into SNL. So you're saying you made Adam Sandler. You are responsible <laughs> for his career. Yeah. Yes. Well, we call him Sandu or Sandman. That was one of the Looking to save on delivery? DashPash from DoorDash is your door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. DashPass is an exclusive membership with DoorDash that gets you unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders and members-only deals and discounts. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, grocery from across town, or anything in between, DashPass is the most affordable way to get everything you need delivered right to your door. With $0 delivery fees and lower service fees on eligible orders, DashPass makes it easy to save at restaurants, grocery stores, and all your local favorites on DoorDash. DashPass pays for itself in two orders on average. Plus, DashPass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, all for $9.99 a month. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. What was it like? I still think it's crazy that Adam Sandler was released from that show. I mean, is it fair to say he was fired from the it, show? I didn't even know that, honestly, until like a year ago. Because when, when he Farley hosted, and he Sandler were it. so big on the show. Yeah, did you hear this? Because I, I heard he was fired, but sometimes I think things just peter out like... Had he done Billy Madison? Was he kind of on no, his way? No, he had done big no. movies, and so had Farley. It was time. I should have just gone. But they were going to something, and I wasn't. So I said, I'm going to stay another year. Mm-hmm. But then that felt like I was... But you were invited to stay another yeah. year. And it is. it seems so crazy, especially... That I was, and they weren't, yeah. No, not that, but <laughs> but that Adam Sandler was unquestionably well, he was a, one of the most I think he was popular. too big a star, and... and Maybe he got fired for being too big a star. I don't know if he got fired. Mm. I, I, can't, I, mean, we I don't really one. know. There's... He says he. Got Do you want fired. to get on yeah. the mic for a second, manager? Did he get fired, or have you heard, Mark? I believe he was fired. And uh, Farley so too? too. But it seems yeah. it seems insane. But I'll Chris. tell you, Adam was a man with a plan from day one. <laughs> I mean, he would even before he started to score on the show, he started doing stuff with Robert Smigel and he goes, yeah, he's a great writer, Carvey. I'm going to put him in all my movies. And I was like, <laughs> what? You just, you just got here. <laughs> Adam had, for whatever reason, he had Frank Sinatra confidence. And I asked him once, where did it come from? He said, my dad would always we'd go to the Little League game. Adam was a pretty good player, but he'd go, yeah. his dad would go, look at that kid. That's a ball player. That's a ball player. And then his mom, when Sinatra would come on, she'd say, you better. You're better than Sinatra. So he had both sides. If you can try to create someone yeah. with that drive and talent. but Yeah, you know. yeah. It's funny. But, a lot of comics, they do it to prove their parents wrong, but it sounds like Adam had the entirely had, opposite situation. You're not a good baseball player. You're you're a, go- a human god. I don't know. Maybe for people yeah, out there with a baby. You just need one this- cheerleader, hopefully. My, mm-hmm. my mom was a huge cheerleader, and my dad was uh, gone. Anyway, yeah. Dana, um, um, but you don't have any daddy, <laughs> daddy issues. My dad, unfortunately, stayed, and there was a, <laughs> there was a monster in the neighborhood, and it was dad. My dad, when I told him I got a radio job in Seattle, which was a big market, and this is all I wanted. I was in college at the time, not really going to class at all, and I said, I got a job in Seattle. My father said, I'll pay you $200 a week to stay here at home. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> because he didn't think radio was classy. Or he, he missed you. Uh, I don't know. They just didn't want me leaving the house. They, and uh, luckily I said, no, I think I'm going to move and How be old were you? I'll take I my was hundred. In college. Oh, college in there. Your dad was, don't go. I'll pay you yeah, to, no, to hang out with me. me <laughs> oh, we can watch TV, Jimmy. I'd still Double be your there. Salary. Making $800 a month. But you came from a, a loving, secure family, yes, all things very considered. Much so. Yes, very much That so. explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you seem like a, I don't know a well-centered, happy person. We're wounded little clowns. Oh, I'll tell you so what. Up. I had five years of therapy. I need five more. Dude, I mean, I'm a powder keg. It sounds like, He's though, human <laughs> you found... You found a real father figure in Lauren, who I still can't believe he moved you into his house. I mean, sit on my lap. He must have taken an extreme liking to you. He would sit on my lap. I would sit in his lap, can, and we'd be the puppet. Can you so, imagine moving someone you just auditioned well, and hired into your so home? So weird. I don't like out. you guys here I, right now. You know, he he. I guess he did take a liking to me when I first met with him alone in a room. He goes, but, but, but someone here, and he, he goes off on things, you know, someone you want to have dinner with, you know, when it comes to the cast. Someone who came in, I thought they're like really, really talented, but, but there was something about their shoes. <laughs> and then I looked out of my shoes, I guess they passed the test. But he did literally Keds. said I, I couldn't have him because of those, you know, high top kids on a grown man don't work. Has he, to your knowledge, allowed anyone else on the cast to live in his home? People have gone there for gone there is one thing. Well, right. I I moved a in month. I moved in there for a month, but Whitney would come and go. I don't know if he stayed there. Chevy Chase, Whitney Brown. Do you remember him? Yeah, a Whitney Brown. Really yeah. funny because the night that Paul came there and nervously played a song for us, it was Chevy. Lauren, me, and Whitney, and then Paul and Linda. When you say Paul, you mean McCartney, not Schaefer. No. no. <laughs> so I'm sorry could, that people... Could be either. <laughs> well, I thought I'd play a little thing for you. I don't know if it's any good, you know. And he he leaned into me right as the song started. I guess he had a, a CD. He goes, sometimes when you're writing, you try so hard to live up to whatever, you end up ruining the fucker. This is him saying it to me wow, right as the song wow goes on. So he's very vulnerable. The song plays. There's a pause. A. Whitney Brown goes, sounds like Julian Lennon. What <laughs> Sounds fuck? like Julian Lennon. And Lauren said Paul would still mention that years later. <laughs> this is the fellow who thinks I sound like Julian Lennon. <laughs> God damn. Is she going to be around, you know, because I like to be on the other side of the table. Celebrities don't hang out with regular people. Oh, we're people. all wounded. He couldn't have said anything. <laughs> Sounds like Julian that? Lennon. That's crazy. So Getting anyway, that happened. I went to dinner there once. So, you know, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, Jimbo, when we, I, for Howard, I did the Beth's uh, cat. Uh, oh, yes. You charity. did the benefit did for the North Shore Animal League. So, yeah. ha so Howard and Beth came and and, um, and um, Lauren and some people were there. Uh, some celebrities. Of course, were, we're talking about Howard Stern. Peppered around Howard Stern. Yeah. And so doing this charity show, but I was extra nervous because it was very small and there's a lot of those people and they don't see me do stand up and it was kind of scary. So anyway, there's there's Lauren and then they they seat empty. They go, well, "Should we hold for Jack Nicholson?" I go, "Oh no, he's not coming in the fucking front row, is he?" So they yeah. they don't hold. Now my whole set I'm like, "Where the fuck is Jack? He's missing my Southwest bit." And so so then afterwards Lauren goes, "Dinner at the house?" And I was like, "Oh, the one Dana Stays at? Well, so, I was staying there. So I go, Dana's not there right now, is he? So <laughs> it was this called is, Dana's this like room. Two years ago. On. So I go over um, and we have dinner and uh and then and then and then they, there's an empty seat again and then Jack does come in. Yeah. And sit down. How was it? Yeah, I missed it. 
Yes, it was two hours ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, past the meatballs. So uh, he ate and it was very fun. So that was my big Lorne house, but it was, uh, it was a timer on it. But he didn't invite you to stay for 29 more days. Tired? Just that. Night. I have bunk beds. <laughs> David, does higher. he keep the room as you left it, like my mother has at my keeps uh, <laughs> It's, it's like room. two single beds, and one morning I came in and he was making the bed. It just I want the pillow to sit right. Dana's got a soccer trophy. I go, Lord, you don't have to do this, or I feel like I'm your dad. You're only ten years older than me. Well, it can happen in different countries, third world. There can be a ten year old father. Did you? Uh, who was better at pitching sketches to? Lorne. Out of us? Yeah. Um, uh, I don't remember really pitching. You didn't really pitch sketches? Well, we pitch them in the, in the it, meeting. You uh -huh. know, we have all the other writers, so you really- Lorne is there or no? Lorne is there. Okay. It's Monday evening, yeah. everyone's packed in his little office, and there's usually a nervous host sitting in a chair. So right. it's Lorne and the host facing this way. Lorne behind his desk, host in a big chair. Everyone is sitting on the floor, chairs, couches, standing, jammed, boiling hot. And then Lorne just like has a, you know, certs or a Twizzler and he goes, David, anything for Tom Hanks? And then he just goes through and then you go, oh, and you have a little legal pad and you go, I was thinking maybe you're, you know, you play Sully, but you're just uh, at a. Do you work harder on the Tom Hanks pitches than on, let's say, <laughs> Kyle McLaughlin? Well, I always do fake pitches because, right, because. If you pitch it in the room and yeah. then the idea, the bubble's been burst, you want to save it for read It's all strategy. So it'd be like, I'm going to be a dancing popsicle with John Lovitz and we sing a song. You know, and that's just a fake pitch. And then people laugh. And yeah. then you go, that's the fake one. But then sometimes the host comes around to your room later and goes, are you are you the one working on the dancing popsicle bit? And you go, oh, uh, no. And they're like, I love that. And you're like, that was a fucking fake And then you idea. go, Michael Jordan, relax. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to play. <laughs> Were you guys both there when Michael Jordan hosted the show? Oh, yeah. <laughs> was he in that Monday meeting? Yeah, he had to be. Was yeah. there did the whole the whole run did, of the whole thing? Was there uh, were there any buffer people who were like, oh no, yeah, Michael's not going to do that. Michael will do that. I, or was it just really Michael? Remember. Are the buffer people allowed in those meetings? Because we deal with no. buffer people a lot. Sure. Really? And the buffer people often demand uh, do a disservice to the the people who are who need to get the laughs on the show. Like so, where they never hear the actual idea. Yeah, they never hear. It's They're turned like, down no, before it gets to them. He yeah. can't do that because he was divorced in 1975. And you're like, eh, this doesn't really have anything to I do with that. I think he would think it's funny. Let yeah. him decide. Well, the yeah. really fascinating thing for me that week with Michael Jordan was that, you know, it's a fish out of water, the greatest player ever. But he's got a lot of sketches. Mm -hmm. And we're about to go out in the live show in a sketch, and he's got a, some heavy dialogue. And you're behind the slats, the band's playing, the audience is there. And I could tell, you know, he had the script in his hand for last-minute jamming. And he's, I could tell he kind of had cotton mouth. It was a little tense. And I said, Michael, just go out there and read it right off the cue card. Christopher Walken does it. Don't even worry about that. And it kind of trying to calm Michael Jordan down about yeah. anything was a unique situation. Sting too. Sting would be like, "How's my hair?" We're going into an elevator sketch. How's it now? I like Sting in the it elevator. Looks good. How about that. now? It looked better before. Fuck. <laughs> no. But um, who is the most nervous of the hosts? Uh, Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna Arquette oh, was wow. most nervous. Oh, I don't know. She, she was, <laughs> was a little a good emotional. Answer. She was great, but I remember you'd hear. 
that someone was sobbing somewhere. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> and whatever host was full nervous breakdown was yeah. broken down. With Steven Seagal, you would just go by his office and you just hear Hi-ya! you'd all you'd hear is ah 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 ah, and some woman having an orgasm. Right? <laughs> no, that's all you'd hear. You'd go by, ah, ah, and they come out and fluff up. I <laughs> hope there was a woman in I, there. <laughs> I think sometimes Friday night is the night to collapse. If you were even on the show, even when I went back to host, Friday night is the night when the hosts go. You're joking. The sets aren't even all built yet. And all the lines are different from read through. We haven't even rehearsed all of them once. The show is tomorrow. And that's yeah. if they cry or have a, a breakdown because they go, we can't do this. And everyone's it like, happens it happens so rarely. It seems like it should happen more. Oh, every, almost every Saturday night, especially the dress shows would go longer and longer where you're still doing the practice show. And it's like 1045 and the real show goes on at 45 minutes. Yeah. I go, it, they're going to put up an old movie tonight. <laughs> We're never going to make it. This is the worst it's when thing you ever. start hoping for an earthquake or something, anything it's a preemption and of some kind. Jim Downey, who had such ADD, he would write, really really well like at 11 hmm. like right outside the office he, he needed to get right he needed down to, to be no you we, you cannot procrastinate for one more second yeah. he give you five gems at like with, or they'd say it's in it's in the cards when you're going on to a set it'll be in the cards so you're gonna live read that's how i order dinner i do i look at the menu and everybody <laughs> orders they come to me last i'm like oh okay i'll have the branzino i have to order now yeah <laughs> time's up yeah that's how it some is. of these people though, i'm looking through a list of um some of the people who hosted the shows when you were both on mm-hmm. and um some of these people like have no business hosting a, a show <laughs> like this i mean Really, I think this might have been right before you were on, David, but uh, George Steinbrenner hosted the show <laughs> with Morris Day in the Time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I yeah. love Morris Day they in the Time. funny combos like that. Steinbrenner is a, is a New York institution, and that's what yeah. Lauren, if you're New York-centric, someone from a play can get it. He loves New York, and his friends are from New York, so he likes to go, we got you know the lead from... But there was a, a run there where we had... The second or third through? lead well, wait, from some shows. I just shows want to insert this: is that first. here's the secret of the show, in my opinion. I figured it out yesterday. Uh, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's good. So you're watching this billionaire owner of a baseball team try to do sketch comedy, <laughs> right. and he sucks. Not his fault. I find that really compelling to watch live and watch people. Bomb. Do you find it disheartening when Kim Kardashian is on and she's funny, and you go? Well, okay, well, where are we now? I mean, yeah, like, I what, saw her monologue are, and said, what the fuck? Yeah, like, yeah. what are we? Are we ventriloquist puppets? Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. here's the thing. When you, when you become that famous and your comedy bit is all about, the entire audience knows what you're yeah, talking you're, about. You've got it. But she landed that beautifully, and Chris Rock did say, um, monologue of the year. About Kim Kardashian. Yeah, it was really good. And it's, it was just it's, crushed. Also, it's out of nowhere, so you get extra points. Yeah. Because she scored so hard, a part good. of me did die. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I don't like about what those celebrity roasts became, because it went from being a bunch of comics goofing on somebody they mm-hmm. presumably knew yeah. to j- famous people reading lines a bunch of um, mean comedy writers uh, handed oh, yeah. to them. Meanest, angriest comedy writers. Yeah, yeah, the meanest, Assassins, angriest. Yeah. What I don't like about that show, but I, Jeff Ross is great. The show's kind of brilliant, right? But I well, watch certain people it, like Jeff Ross. Yeah, this is his, he's a master he, he's at a it. He's a master at it. Yeah. But 
But I watch it and I'm like, ha ha ha. The person who's being roasted is ha 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 with relaxed eyes, kind of ha ha ha. And then at some point, you see the shot where there's wounded pain yeah. behind yeah, whoever brutal. is being roasted. You mean like, Chevy, right? You're talking about Chevy. Chevy was the original. He yeah. was the fountain. Wasn't he the one where I watched and I said, Oh, these guys don't even know him. And it was it went from Dean yeah, Martin. None Roast, of them knew him. Where it was fun, and they were like Don Rickles would go, Dean, we've drank together, and, and they do a little joke. It was like sometimes you wake up and your hair looks messy, and then everyone's like, ah. But it got so <laughs> rough over the years. But they don't know each other, so you just Chevy's looking down at some guy he doesn't know, and they're like, Hey, you fucking asshole, look over here, and they're like. Are you talking to me? And then you're like, how are these people have any business talking to a huge star like this and then really taking their legs out? Well, mm -hmm. yeah, although I think it maybe you love it? says something about the person when his friends who are funny don't come oh, to do rust, yeah. roast him. So uh, maybe it means like they're like, oh, man, I, he's not going to take this well. Or maybe they're just like, I don't know. Have you been roasted or do you want to be roasted? No, no, I've roasted, but I have not been roasted. Yeah. But you always get roasted yeah, you while you're in the vicinity. Yeah, if you're in the room and I've done like five or six of those, you get roasted. And uh, yeah, sometimes I mean, sometimes you get like. Like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Jeff Ross was in the elevator with Drew Carey, and uh, Drew said, uh, it was one of the early, early roasts, he goes, uh, who's who's on the, who's roasting tonight? And he goes, uh, or it was the night before, he says, oh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, Adam Carolla, and Drew Carey goes, anybody funny? And Jeff, of course, reported this to me immediately, and I stayed up all night writing the most vicious Drew Carey jokes. I mean, I, I, I flayed him, I tore his, the skin off his body. See, that's and why you're a wall. success. That's why you're successful. And he was successful. like, Jesus Christ, he didn't know where it came from. He was yeah. probably just joking, you yeah. know. That's, that's I remember an old Pam Anderson one. I go, she asked me to do it, and I said, Yeah, I'll send I a was, video. I in. was the roast master. Of that. Okay, I, I think, think I sent I a video in one. because I, I, uh, I'm changing my lie. I think, I think <laughs> I sent a video in because I go, I, I don't know in the room. I just don't want to really be there because you get caught in the crossfire. And I think that was one where they go, Speaking of anal warts, Andy Dick is here, and the spotlight goes, and he's like. What the fuck? I'm in the audience. Like, I didn't know yeah. I could get it. I was in the parking garage and I got yeah, wounded. They, you know, suddenly I mean, a light comes on. They call you at home. Yeah. Was he ever asshole. funny? You know, I'm like down the block at Sardis. Speaking of when you're talking about Saturday Night Live and how one guy has to be the dad, one person has to be the mom, etc. Um, that's kind of how those roasts are in that like you know, somebody's got to be the slut. Someone's got to be old. Somebody's got to be over, you know. Yeah. And who is the mic dropper of, uh, consistently? I mean, Norm uh, McDonald got famous for going against it with his corny yeah, jokes, yeah. which was hysterical. But Ross is the ultimate, right? Yeah, sure. He's, like, He's the roast master. Martha yeah. Stewart got some good ones in on that one roast. Yeah, uh, but that's annoying, yeah. right? I mean, she she, does, she doesn't remember any of those jokes. Right, she thought they were recipes. <laughs> you say this, and then she and it will kill. Yeah, the context of it. Some of these people... Um, Jimmy Smits and World Party were Fuck, on... Was um, I there for that? Spade's I, first I episode. That must have made quite an impression on you. Was it? I remember he was skilled. He was good. I, I don't yeah. remember tons about that one. Most shows is is uh, really depressing because you go to read through. My first read through, I did Life Alert. I wrote it for Jan Hooks. I didn't know you should probably put the host in. I just thought you can write for the cast, the host. You learn later if the host isn't, it's got a better chance. Hmm. So, because the host is p partially picking. Uh, so I write it for Jan Hooks, who is like a host because she's so great. And uh, it was like a, a, an old lady that was sad because life alert, she was lonely. So she keep calling life alert. I've fallen. I can't get up. Then they come over and then she goes, I, I put my hand in the toaster and it's on dark. Hurry. And so they, uh, anyway, then she just wanted to hang out with them. So it does, it was fourth in read through, which is another thing. 
Early and read through out of 44 sketches is good. That's you good. have attention for about 10. Yeah. And then yeah. people doze off until like the last one they wake up. So fourth is good. It gets a lot. I'm a new writer. It doesn't get on. It gets close. And then after that, I kind of really whiffed. I had to have Conan, Oda Kirk, Smile. I keep asking him, how do I write this? How many or too many sets to write? The script is 48 pages long. They're like, no, no, no. It's got to be tighter. So I'm just freeballing it. I don't know one thing. Who helped you the most, the most with editing those You know, scripts? those guys... Uh, you know, Rob and I would sometimes write together, and then um, we were both, you know, don't know shit, so we're freshmen. And then I would say Downey, you wanted his attention the most. Uh, Smigel, uh, Odenkirk, and, and uh, you know, Jack Handy wrote so brilliantly, but it was so yeah, different in, out in of his my own vortex. Lane, he'd take a bath on Sunday and be all done. And, you know, and I can't go to... <laughs> there. He would. These, are, these are your, you know, the, the, the turners are there who are great. Everywhere you turn mm -hmm. is, is a great writer-slash-competition because... X amount of sketches get on. I can't be, if I get one in, it's a fucking miracle. And then you got Mike Myers writing and Dana, Kevin Neal and Dennis, everyone around you, Sandler, Farley. So Rock, I, how I, can you be as good or better? And that's that took a long, long time. So I did some of those early yeah. shows, the point was, um, long story longer. I just, if I wasn't in, after read through, you're sort of done. I'm a writer mostly. So I'm just walking the halls while people are very busy around me. And, it's, and it, that's crushing. I love the athletes and the old movie stars the most. Really? Robert Mitchum and I were in a Jack Handy sketch. It was right before the show ends. And neither of us had any idea what the sketch was about. We were beekeepers in Indonesia or something. That was really cool. With Wayne Th Gretzky. That's a very different to say. I could see totally you loving the old movie stars. But then it's it's weird to that you loved also the well, guys who are real amateurs. Well, well, Gretzky was so charming, so Canadian charm. And so yeah. we're sitting in a sketch where we're playing movie stars. Um, we're rehearsing and we're we're Hollywood people advising Gretzky how to play hockey better. <laughs> and um, I was Travolta. You have a thing like everybody, the whole team just runs at the net. Just everybody goes right at the net. You, know? you were Barbarino. Is what <laughs> you were. That was my substitute. Yeah. And I did it once on stage in Denver. I'm going, you yeah, going like that. And then he, 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 he was there and came and tapped me on the shoulder. I really? call it an impression tap. Was he wearing the pilot outfit? Yeah, he uh, had yeah. The, whole, the whole look on. <laughs> this is hub. But Gretzky and I had a sketch that was that we were going to be water skiing with our shirts off uh -huh. at the end. And so I was just teasing. He's a great athlete. I just go, well, you know, because I, I was training at that point for a movie called Opportunity Knox because I had to have my shirt off. So I was pretty fit, but I was just kidding him like, well, our shirt's going to come off. We'll see what you got, you know, kind of thing. Right. So then I thought he'd be just built as professional athletes. So he takes a shirt off and he's just emaciated on top. <laughs> I, I look like Schwarzenegger compared to him. He's just all legs as a as the greatest hockey player. There's yeah. nothing on top. So that was that was a little thing that happened. Yes, athletes' bodies have changed. So never taunt an athlete to take their shirt off because you might be more fit than them. Yeah. Yeah, I know wouldn't that be the worst? I don't see that happening to me. Um hmm. being more fit than uh, an athlete or even um Robert Mitchum for that matter. <laughs> what, how would you um, handle watching yourselves on the show? Did you watch yourselves on the show? And if so, when did you do it? Did you like set the VCR on Saturday night and then go home and watch it on Sunday? Couldn't watch it. Never wanted to watch it. David? I'd watch Dana. Um, <laughs> no, but Dana, uh, Dana you, you could learn from these guys for sure. I, I sort of had to figure out my own lane of uh, what I did. And um, I would watch. So you I don't would watch know. yourself. And Say it again? You would watch yourself. Watching myself was tough because you it's could terrible. Get a, you could get a VCR. I still can't even listen to my own stand-up. I can't watch the specials. You just do it and you walk away and you say, I hope 
I'll just go by feedback. If people like it, it, it works or didn't. Hmm. I feel this one worked. I feel this one was soft. And then you'll just go from there and try to get better. But with, um, I don't even know what I'm saying. Go well, on. if you, if you needed to watch your blocking or you had something you're curious about, but I just wanted to feel good out there mm -hmm. and I didn't want to go, oh, I thought it was better than that. Mm -hmm. But our friend John Lovitz, I guess he wouldn't mind saying that he did enjoy on Monday, he'd get a VHS tape. He's on the 17th floor down the hall and he would watch all of his sketches and just <laughs> laugh so loud. You'd hear John down there. Ha, ha, That's acting. That's great. I want to see it again. And he had an assistant rewind it. Rewind it more. I want to see my entrance. John will hear this. Get Hi, John. To know but, me. But you could say that was good Good homework for John. I mean, he was obviously one of uh, our all-time greats. Great, yeah. yeah. So uh, he loved to watch himself. The best thing depends. is when you get... Farley comes off stage and he goes, oh, fuck that crowd. And he goes, what the fuck, dude? I killed. I go, That's not your fault. And he goes, well, what are you talking about? <laughs> My most humiliating one, which I never watched, was we, me and Matthew Broderick, we were all in diapers. like We were like babies with bonnets. This is on the show? On the show. A okay. sketch with big diapers, bare-chested with bonnets and suckers. And I don't even remember what the sketch was. I like But it we just ate it. I mean, dead <laughs> silence. And then the commercial break, we're still in the diapers. And the thing, we have to walk through the crowd. And I, I kind of waved at the crowd. And they looked away. <laughs> they looked that's, down. That stinker. They want to be waving. Yeah, hey, what's up? I'm in the diaper and the bonnet. There are certain things in comedy business. It's that it's funny because they're based on other comedy bits, and I think the bonnet is one of them. It's based on like cartoons from like yeah, the forties or something. Little, like, I've little never Huey seen a, or something. an actual baby in a bonnet. <laughs> no, but we think oh, like okay, yeah, your baby, you're gonna be in a bonnet, and uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 it doesn't protect you from the sun. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> no. It's like a, a, a like a hairband. I don't know, but we were in bonnets and diapers. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping. It's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. Mm -hmm. And what makes a home is more than just house or property. It's the location and the neighborhood. Yes, exactly. This is really, really a smart uh, thing. If you have kids, it's also schools, regards to homes, nearby parks, transportation mm -hmm. options. That's why homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. Yeah, and when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, mm -hmm. student-to-teacher ratio. This is stuff you need. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's right. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know all in one place, homes.com. We've done your homework. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. Now, you're out there, you have acres and acres, hundreds of acres. All you have to do is water <laughs> and mow, and they'll do the rest. No. Weed control, which you hate, fertilization, mm -hmm. aer aeration. Huh? Can't stand it. Among others. They'll do all that, so you can do literally anything else. Dana's out there like Yellowstone. You have better things to do in your free time. I know you do. You don't want to focus on lawn care. True green is too good to be true, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. But it is true. Right, David? Because yeah. you're going to have more time to do yeah, things that you want to focus on. All the hard work, and it gets yeah. you to a great lawn. That's what you want. 
You take care of everything else you got to do in your life. You're very busy. Let True Green take care of this one thing. Get it off your plate. You know what? I do have some space. I want to put some grass down. Some I, I might. This, I'll, I'll, talk, I'll call you later, talk, True Green. Talk to True Green. <laughs> Where can listeners mm-hmm. purchase or learn more? You go to TrueGreen.com. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. Whoa. They offer a satisfaction guaranteed, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. That is such a cool thing. Good job, True Green. You're nailing it. Did you ever go completely blank? And I know there are cue cards. And by the way, I, I do want to ask you something because one thing that has bothered me consistently about Saturday Night Live for like, I don't know, the whole run of the show is the placement of the cue cards because so often, like the, you'll be sitting at the anchor desk or whatever mm-hmm. and facing forward because that's where the cue card, but you're supposed, you're supposed to be having a conversation with the person to the right of you. Why doesn't the cue card guy just move over a little bit and make it just a tiny bit more natural. Um, Jimmy, Jimmy. Yes. Calm down. <laughs> I, I, that true. was on my notes that I was going to ask today. What the fuck was with the cue card placement? Bigger, Am I the only one noticing it's that? It's a big problem. People people think you're too married to the cards, they used to say. So uh-huh. Wally, well, our card guy, maybe he's still there, he would... You'd have three sets, ideally, but sometimes you all have to decide where you're going to look at the cards because if you go back and forth from the person, the cards, that's when it looks weird on camera. Well, hold on. There's two things. There, there's update forward and then yeah. sketches. So go on about the sketches. It's different. I don't know. Well, but, <laughs> but update, you're looking like if Dennis is update host or Neilan and they look over to me, there sh- I think there should be some over there, but it's not looking at me. It's, it's all you kind of grab them with your eyes and try to guess, but... It's very hard because if you miss, and you also forget what color you are. <laughs> if I'm green and I go, I, they go, oh, 10 I seconds, meant, and you go, am I, I green? You what were race. you? I was red, I think. <laughs> they have different colors, and the host is always black. Oh, and it's not consistent, right? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, on our show, uh, my cards, are now we use are teleprompter, black? are black, uh-huh. yeah. And then Guillermo's mm-hmm. blue, and then yeah. that's all of us. There's only two people. Guillermo has lines? Tell the yeah, cue card. I thought he had yeah. He's funny. The, the cue cards would tell you what the eyesight was, like, not to pick on John again, but, like, I'd have, like, ten lines on my cue card, and John would have, like, two, and the letters would be, like, a foot high because <laughs> yeah. he needed glad, but he didn't want to wear them style. in the sketch. But I would say that in sketches, if I'm looking at you directly, I can kind of go, well, I don't know, and look look over my shoulder and grab grab the line from behind me as well. Yeah, right. Phil was the best at this. Yeah. At Update, I thought there was one pivoted, but generally speaking, you don't want to get in a profile with Dennis Miller. You want to stay forward as Why much as possible. Well, because there's no camera going to cover so you there. And well, because the, the great thing, of, you're in the center mm-hmm. of the studio, mm-hmm. there's an audience there, you want to just face forward. I would do Grumpy Old Man or characters Yay! where I was just going to rant. And so I just went right at the cue cards. That's right. why I was so potent about it. Right. Sandler was great at that with his guitar and everything. Did you ever see anyone read someone else's line on the show? A, cue, a line on the cue card that was not for <laughs> well, them? Well, when you would be in Toons as the Cat. It was a driving cat. It was yeah, a cat sure. with Victoria Jackson. It was adorable. But we'd all, she'd, often, she'd often just space out. Like, I'd say my line, oh, where are we going to go? And her line would be, we'll get there pretty soon. Three, 
two. I'm just <laughs> kicking her leg. Five, six. Oh, oh, we'll get there pretty soon. So she would adorably space out. Yeah. I remember one time we were walking out for my first sketch I wrote, and Farley would do jokes around the set, you know. How are you? You know, he'd just do stupid shit. How are you? And then one time he said, uh, I told this girl, won't you lay me down in the tall grass and let me do my stuff? I go, okay, let's put that in there. And then we were thinking of stuff for him. And then he goes, I swallow a, a lot of aggression, along with some pizzas or something, whatever. <laughs> so we put that in there because he was like the chubby guy in the sketch, shockingly. Yeah. And then we're walking out on air, not dressed. And he goes, I go, remember, say that one just like you said it, blah, blah. And he goes, it's your stripes. I go, what's that? He goes, that joke was in stripes. I go, that joke was in stripes? <laughs> And he goes, David, it doesn't matter. And he grabs me really hard. It's all guilt. David, it doesn't. They go, three, two. And I go, what do we do? So he just does it. And he's looking at me like, like holds his face. like Because I go, you. And then afterwards I go, you waited all fucking week. And he goes, I didn't wait. a week? It was all week. We wrote it. He waited until it was live. David, no one knows anything. It's in stripes. They can't trace it back to me. I go, I think they can. I think, <laughs> I think they watch the you sketch. You're going to take the fall. I know. He goes, he goes, you're the writer. I go, you fucking This is crazy. Listen to this lineup uh, week to week to week. Steve Martin Big. and James Taylor. Huge. This is, you know, this is, to me, this is, it's as good as it gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, followed by Rob Morrow and Nirvana. I remember Nirvana. Followed by Chevy and Robbie Robertson and Bruce Hornsby. And then the next show is Susan Day and CNC Music Factory. Mm. And then Jason Priestley and Decent Teenage Fan. Let me tell you something. Susan Day had one of the best sketches. I saw it the really? other day. Someone yeah. Twittered it to me. It's it was the Partridge Family Battle of Bands versus the Brady Bunch. And it was an all cast sketch. So she's Lori Partridge and we are uh Every, you know. I was David Cassidy. Yeah, David Cassidy. Mm-hmm. We had all the wigs on everything, and it was just like this epic sketch. Farley was Ruben Kincaid. Written by Melanie Hutzel. <laughs> Did she write that? Well, yeah, oh, or at least she go, played, that was uh, her idea. Yeah, uh, She played Jan? She it? played Jan Brady at, at, at you know. Um, right, on the Real Life Brady Bunch we or something? Like yes, that. So she funny. brought that character to the show. So right. it was that was a killer sketch. Susan Day was cool. The best I told Dana that I when I watched it, I was the drummer. I didn't know I was in it, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm in the drummer. I go, where the fuck am I? Because Sandler's up there. And he's like, it's time for a change. He was Peter Brady. <laughs> and so, and then I hear my voice. I go, oh, I'm the drummer. And then I go, they don't even have a courtesy cut to me. It's just like a wide shot. And you hear, hey, guys, we got to start rehearsing. And I go, fucking pan over. Do something. Move out of the way. <laughs> so I see myself inching my head around Dana and go, hi there. Like, just because I go, which camera's got a red light? I got I to have someone back in Arizona know I'm. On and in this, and I would move. I got blacklisted from the Tonight Show because of Susan Day. Why? What did she? Because of Susan Day. Because of Susan Day. Do tell. Not directly, but we were doing a Carson that week, and she came on as Susan Day, and it was written. I didn't write it. I don't want to say it, but it was written that Johnny didn't realize the Partridge Family wasn't still on the air. Like, <laughs> so uh, how's was, that show going for you? Is that Danny Bonaducci? He's a, he's a real piece of work, isn't he? He's a handful. And that did, and I don't blame, did not sit well with Johnny. Monday after that show, he didn't reference it, but he said, Ed, they're, uh, they think we're senile. Did you know that? Oh. They think uh. we're senile. 
it's time to go. So anyway, that was kind of did a that bum you out? Yeah, I didn't want to. I I loved Johnny Carson, and I yeah. didn't want to be. Most of my stuff was benign and friendly. I loved being in that character because of the earnestness of but it. But Carcinio was a truly. Um, I mean, it was a somewhat brutal parody of two different people at once, which you don't ever, I don't know, has ever happened it's before. So which awesome. Johnny recognized and said that to Leno. You know, they're making fun of Arsenio as much as they're making fun of us. So he was <laughs> smart. He got it. Okay. But the senile thing was a bridge too far. So I, w- I wasn't asked back. But before that, I was on a show all the time. You know, and I was on the best of every year. I do a montage and I come on. Right. He's, he's dead to me, dead. Jimmy, I when you look at that list, it made yeah. me realize that when from when I started, and every Monday meeting when you go in there, it was a weird thing that I would think some people had a star thing. Like you would see them sitting in that chair and they would talk and the way they handled themselves. I literally walk out of there and go, "That's a fucking movie star." Like it hit me, and some people were just blank to me. Like they just got on that week. They we did have the names. Show. I know, I don't want to say names. Who are the movie stars? I will say, you can say the movie stars. Uh, you know, like a Sharon, well, Sharon Stone is easy. Sharon Stone. That's mm-hmm. easy. She comes in right. dressed up, gorgeous, sits there, knows how to handle herself. There's uh, my second show or third show was Alec Baldwin's first, Black Turtleneck. I just watched Hunt for Red October where he's a star. I come and he's got blue eyes, black hair, and he's like, how's it going? Nice to everyone, super cool. Everything about it, he was into the comedy, he would go pitch ideas of people. I just go, this guy's a fucking stud. He's a movie stud. star. Yeah. He had the hazel blue eyes, yeah. like weird blue eyes and just super built. Like, you know. And now and then someone would come by and you'd, you know, they're the fourth lead on Melrose Place. And you go, all right. But, you know, they were okay. Yeah, and they were, they did fine. They did their best. And I think Laura Layton. I don't want to make fun of Laura Layton, but we weren't getting the biggest stars for a year there. I remember there was a year where we started sagging where, uh, you know that show, Oh, that person? No, Grey's Anatomy. They play the janitor. Uh, well, yeah. the janitor's friend. That guy's hosting. And so you go, oh, so it's not quite who you think it would be from that show. Right. And then we picked it back up again. But there's there's people that you see that you go, I get it. There are some people that are, uh, it, it's, that's one of the, I think this would be a great game. Did they host SNL yeah. or not? Now, obviously, you guys have a an advantage, but um, I don't know. Let's okay, see. here's one, and well, you should know because you were there. Lightning round. Yeah. Did Sinbad go. ever host Saturday Night Live? I'm gonna say no because it's so obvious he should have. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, I'm gonna say I, yes, and you were on that show with him. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus, was I? Dennis Miller, it Jimmy was... goes. Dennis Miller goes. I was on fucking Star Search with Sinbad. We go to the final round, and uh, I'm doing, I'm doing my best quality high end material. Sinbad gets up there and goes, "You ever have underpants so big and old? It's just a rubber band." Four stars. <laughs> You're moving on. Yeah. And Dennis, Dennis is sitting is there with two and a half, going, "What the fuck just happened?" Because yeah. you know what? That's funny. I mean, uh, <laughs> it can be a rubber band. It's, <laughs> booty not, so big it drags in the sand. That was his closer. What was that? Booty so big. Drags in the sand behind her. No, I did a corporate with him, and he fucking blew me well, out of the water. He destroys it. One time, I was doing this theater. I don't remember where, and the you know the stagehand right before I went out, go, Sinbad crushed here last week. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Did he do local references? Oh, he did all oh. of them. You know, my first ten moved minutes. in here a month before. But yeah, you don't want to follow Sinbad. That guy. Is... Go ahead, keep going. Tony Orlando. I'm just gonna say yes now because I don't. I remember think we one... had Don hosting when I was there. <laughs> 
No, I just made that one up. Okay. I just yeah. I don't know. I don't have a. We don't I, get the main guy. I just thought of this idea. I wish I had the well, whole list. But Rob Morrow was on Northern Exposure. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. He was. Yeah. It was a big deal. Uh, it was. It was. And Nirvana. I remember Nirvana. I remember Kurt Cobain sitting in the hall with Courtney Love, out of the dressing room, just sitting in the hallway by the page desk, mm-hmm. and they camped out there. So you just walk by, getting ready, and they're just there fiddling around. I go, okay. Do you have much interaction with the musical guests? Because at our show, there's much more interaction with the um, celebrity guests than but the music you, guests. But your music, when I go to the show on your show and I like the music, they're at a stage away usually, right? Yeah, there's a satellite. Separate, there's yes. two, there are two mm-hmm. different stages. So I don't stages. really see them. But with this, you're allowed to talk to people. They don't. I'm sure they don't love it, but they don't know everyone, so they treat everyone like they're important. They don't know that I'm some bullshit new writer. <laughs> but what, you can go watch rehearsal during dinner. And they do their songs and then they go eat dinner. So I did sat and I ate with Nirvana both times because they were younger. I was newer and didn't know much the first time they came on. Same with Pearl Jam. Second time, knew them a little better, liked them a little better. Very interesting. Everyone's sort of on the same playing field and cool to each other. Um, so we had a great time. Now, one time, uh, I think Cranberries were there. This is stupid, but yeah. Marcy Klein was there. St- and they didn't, sometimes they don't do their hit song and you get, Oh yeah, right. Yes, yeah, and so there's a deal with the record company. I don't know. It's a it's above my player career. So I uh, I just stand there watching them, and I'm like, fuck, they're not doing linger. And I go, all right. So I watch, and then the uh, Marcy goes, do linger, but they're re- recording it. And so she just goes, she's smoking. She's like, do linger, <laughs> and, then, uh, <laughs> and they were just rehearsing. So the guy goes. You know, starts playing it, and then she's like, "Fine." You know, the singer, she's Irish. Yeah, but her Irish, away, I yeah. didn't know it, but she it yeah. came through because she goes, she was kind of walking through it. If you, <laughs> and she's like, "It's just your attitude. It's tearing me apart. It's raining every day." I was like, "Oh, she's Irish." Like I never heard it in the real song, yeah. but when she was half assing it, <laughs> I go, "I love it more." Oh uh, yeah. And then and then Marcy gave me a, a cassette of that. She goes, we taped it. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. So you, they should do the best of not even dress, the best of rehearsal. The best of forced well, rehearsals. Well, I can tell you, if you're a fan of a band, because I had a guy who was a, Bob Shug was his name, Eric Clapton fanatic. So then he comes out to New York. He's in the bleachers on Thursday. You're seeing Eric talking, talking to his band. He's playing the song. He's doing this song. It's hours of immersive stuff into the, your idol. So that just changed his life. And then when he came back in the show on Saturday, Eric Clapton, he walked by he was on 8H, and Eric remembered his name. You know, hello, Bob, how you doing, you know? So well, that's just a really intimate thing. What about for you guys musically? Now, obviously, Paul McCartney is probably I remember everybody's Neil Young answer. But. Getting on, he was doing, um was an old man or something, one of his incredible, and I was, I was done with the show that night. I went to the side and was watching him in a chair, playing 10 feet away. You, ha- you have moments like that where mm-hmm. you're kind of like, damn, this is an incredible you, show. Would you have bands that then started playing at the after party? Did that happen regularly? I think Clapton, the, the, t- he, it was good night, and then I think he played another 20 minutes, and I know that McCartney did. I wasn't there for that one. Didn't McCartney do an yeah, extra yeah, concert? Yeah. McCartney, when he was on our show, did 17 songs. Shut the fuck after up. After the show? After the show. God, kill. 17 songs. And the next night, Justin guy? Timberlake was on the show, and he was not feeling well. And he comes to me, and he goes, and we were like, you got to do, you know, we closed down the boulevard. We are like, you got to do at least five shows. There's a lot of people, uh, songs, you get a lot of people five. out there. Oof. And uh, he's like, 
I said, he goes, how many did McCartney do ah. last night? I said, 17. He's like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> He's like six, seven years younger. There's only one McCartney. Isn't that the best, though, when they mm-hmm. seem to enjoy what they're doing? Because yeah. so many times that's not the case. And so yeah. many times you see them, they're reading their lyrics off a teleprompter. And you go, I know the words to this song. How is it yeah. possible that you don't? I, 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 yeah. I told Dana that when I have a long story about it, but... Uh, in my hilarious stand-up act, but I went to is one it on of the, Netflix now. What's the name of it? <laughs> that one's out, but I this what's is for the new fool? one. What's the name of your Netflix special? What is it? Hey, hey, buddy. Gervis, what's it called? It's called Nobody um, fucking knows. coming off gay. <laughs> oh no, wait, that's <laughs> you know uh, the name of your Netflix. I can't special. even think of it. What's it called? Hey, oh, no, bud. nothing personal. Nothing personal. Yeah. I thought it was Hey, buddy. So I do this Haiti. You know, the the short version is I do one of those Sean Penn Haiti benefits where you know you bid on things. Yeah, right. It's like Justin Bieber in a hot air balloon ride. You know, that's yeah, right. like always really good. <laughs> hey, win a rocket ship to Mars with Elon Musk. I'll do that. You know, that sounds fun. But everyone's rich, and it's a lot of peer pressure. And so I see tickets to McCartney front row and Springsteen. And I go, this is, this is like up my ass, something I would do. Yeah. So they go, it might go to, the estimate was 10 grand. So I go, I tell my table, I've had a little couple knocks in me. I go, loudmouth soup. I go, hey, uh, I might bid on this one. It might get up, to my, buckle up. And they're like, is this guy with you? So I'm just talking to people that I have money. And then they go, so I have my paddle up. And, and Sean's smoking on stage. He goes, all right, the McCartney tickets. I go, here we go. And he goes, I put my thing up. He goes, starting at 50000 I go, what the fuck? <laughs> and they go, spade. And I go, no, no. <laughs> I go, wait. Uh, it, on this, it was going to go increments. Like it would go like 1000 and there would be an increment. And then I would go. Mm-hmm. And what's going on with the increments? And he goes, 50. And, it's, and they're all looking at me. I go, no, it's just funny that it's 50. I don't care about the money. I just think it's funny. And then they go, 60 over here, 70, 80 spade. I go, all right, well, give me a second. Um, <laughs> It was 50, and I'm, I mean, talk about a markup. I think because I'm like, the face value is probably 100, 500, let's say. And then I go, that's okay. So, you know, and and you know, you could have gone to that for free. Sure. And I'm like trying to be a great guy. And I'm like, actually, I don't even know, gun to my head, where Haiti is on a map. I'm just, (laughs) I'm like, there was an earthquake, but was it that bad? And then, and then they go, and everyone's, DiCaprio's like, who's the cheapskate? I'm like, 80, 80, 80 is great. And then they go, 90, 100 spade. I go, it hasn't been one fucking second. It hasn't. It's a pinball. Are you raising your paddle? Yeah, I'm like this. Well, he well, keeps asking your, me because I'm spending. But your paddle's up like that. No, it's down. Now you're I'm stepping on. Probably, yeah, probably the only person whose name he knows in this auction. So right. you're really at a disadvantage. <laughs> I see Charlie's oh. glaring. I go, I'm getting it. It's a hundred. It's zero to me. Hundred is literally zero. So then he goes, the biggest fucking scam in the business is I go, I'm at a hundred, and then they go one twenty-five, and I go to my table. Nobody fucking move. This is gonna go away in a second. Someone's gonna bid. I'm off the hook. And then he goes, space. I go, no, no. I'm the 100 guy. I won. 125. I go, this is illegal. (laughs) And then everyone goes, spade, spade. I go, 125. So I won that and I fixed Haiti. The good news is Haiti is fixed. (laughs) And Sean Penn is your best friend. Yeah. I mean, and then I walked out of there like a bomb went off. I was like, (laughs) and they get over there and they go, Amex. The biggest scam is when they get you all the way to the top and then they go, okay, we're going to give away three of these. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Especially when you're the one, you know, doing it. It's like, oh, really? I got to have dinners with three different parties. Okay. All right. I'm an asshole. I I went to McCartney and, and uh, you get to go to rehearsal stuff. And then, uh, I didn't really want to get up in his grill. And uh, I didn't even tell him when we interviewed him because I felt bad, but uh, I felt like he'd want to pay me back. Um, so I, uh, and then I met him and he was super cool that night. So, but I, I don't know if he even knew. I think he was just being nice. 
and heard I asked to meet him and then Did you guys do that thing with Paul McCartney where you you didn't talk about the Beatles to be um respectful? Uh, respectful? Well, that's that's still that's... something I have nightmares about. When we interviewed him on this show, uh-huh. I didn't I'd sent an email to him, you know, just sort of to his assistant saying, well, pro- assuming he doesn't want to come on, maybe he doesn't want to talk about the Beatles. You can talk about your friendship with Lorne and when you're on SNL. So I went in with that notion yeah. and we were trundling along. And at one point I brought up Get Back mm-hmm. and then we were into the Beatles. The documentary. And that's all he wanted to talk about. That's he the funny up. thing is yeah. I think people, and I think most people probably, you assume, yeah, he doesn't, he's talked about you the Beatles and death or whatever, but he does, he has no problem talking about the Beatles because I think he want he knows you want, to hear about the it's Beatles. It's very unselfish well, of him to let yeah. to tell you things about. He's talking about John. I mean, you don't want to ask about John. You don't want to ask about things that might yeah. make him feel weird. I yeah, well, what, you know that, I'm sure, because yeah. with Farley and, and um, it's- By like, the way, zero people have a problem with it. Well- Zero. And they go like this. Really? Remember, that, who was that guy that died that you were really good friends with? I always feel a little bit weird about asking about that because I know it's it's a heavy subject. It's not well, just funny stories. We're, we're doing a, a sort of good a special point. on him. And uh, the yeah. thing is, I don't want to dine out on Farley. I did movies with him and I, I kind of didn't want to separate myself from him, but I just want to not feel like the beat. I don't want to feel it, like I don't want to talk about it. I would suggest this, and maybe this will make yeah. you feel a little better. What would make Chris Farley happier than hearing you tell stories about the funny things? And, and a lot of his other friends, friends too. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I would want people to say funny things, and I wouldn't want anyone to feel awkward about talking about me. And and so Chris was obviously a huge part. I mean, one thing I didn't tell Dana is I used to have a phone machine and uh, in the old days when it was – actually, the weird part when it went from cassettes to digital for a minute, and then mm-hmm. they were kind of just on your phone. But it's a physical machine, and so – I realized once everyone's leaving such funny messages that I kept them and I go, I just will have this for life. Maybe it'll be an album, maybe something one day, but it's Farley. And these guys, when you have a phone machine, they just do, it's like a show. It's like Sandler. It's like be even here. Hey, Debo. Hey, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, just whatever. And then Farley goes, name's Spain. How's the Good, good. I says, I says, I says, I says, I says. He just keeps for going. Like two minutes. Yeah. And then there's Norm and everyone's so. It's like the best of the best. I, oh, I delete great. the ones, and I had 33, and then someone that was working on my house oh. goes, hey, I moved your office around. I go, what do you mean? I ran in there. They unplugged it and says zero, and I go, wait, how do we? How, how? And oh. there was no way. Oh, no. And I, it was. it still bugs me to this day. I go, it was the best that you'll never mm. get back. But I think the reason Paul doesn't mind talking about it is because the Beatles songs was like a wave that was cresting, and I think they're even bigger in the last 10 years. Than they, than they were 30 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Because it was too much, too much incredible music, 200 masterpieces, and then it was just sort of Paul doing his stuff, and they kind of got lost. They were always huge, but now I feel like it's this 10.0, oh, yeah. and then he decided at one point to do the songs that were traditionally considered Lennon songs. He opened up with Day in the Life. He's doing Strawberry Field, so... He's at peace with it, but I didn't. I didn't know that. But we did get into about thirty minutes of the Beatles, which was great. David, you told me a long time ago. Uh, you're on the show that uh, celebrities would get upset with you, and I think we know everybody knows the stories about Eddie Murphy yeah. or whatever. But I've um, never heard that. about jokes that you would make uh, during Weekend Update, mm-hmm. Hollywood Minute. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Hollywood Minute. Um, did you? <laughs> Uh, did you have any, uh, besides that, Eddie Murphy, do you have any uncomfortable 
run-ins, yeah. uh, meetings? Did you start to well, it was it was not go problem, places. Problem with publicists and people, and then like like anyone talk shows, you you do jokes about people, and you sort of forget them that day. And but you run into someone, and then you get a weird vibe, and you go, oh wait, and you have to rack your brain and go, yeah. oh boy. So the only one I remember sort of more vividly was. Um, Cameron Crow at the show and I'm over by the 8H desk and then I walk and he goes hey uh, David Cameron Crow and you know it was back with Fast Times he did Fast Times Judgment High or whatever he's done a lot of ton of shit so I said oh hey and I shake his hand and it was like slow motion he goes you know my wife or do you know my wife and I go to shake her hand and I go in my head I go he's married to someone famous <laughs> from Heart. and it was Nancy Wilson uh -huh. from Heart and she just stared at me and she goes you were talking shit about me and my sister. And it just stopped, and I go, uh, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> you make a Hollywood Minute uh, omelet, you got to break some eggs. And yeah, so you know, I yeah. didn't know what to do. I go, yeah, sorry. And then I just sort of drifted off. And the worst part is I love heart. Uh -huh. And I made fun of so many people that I liked. It just, it was a desperate uh, move that I was kind of good at at the time of, of doing that move to stay on, alive on the show. I mean, Lauren, it was probably two to three years in, and then I did a Hollywood Minute, and uh, did they ever? And they laughed at read through, and then Lauren goes, "Good, you found your voice." He said it read through, huh? And he just said it because I sat right next to him, and I was like, "What does that mean?" I didn't really know what that meant. And then it, it it worked, and then about a week later, he goes, "Maybe Hollywood Minute this week." I go, "Are you fucking shitting me?" Because he's never told me to do a sketch. He's never. Mm -hmm. I was just scraping to be in sketches. And then that kept me on a few more years. I didn't want to do that one too much either, but it was a good one to go to. And then I started, uh, of a strain, like a, someone you don't know, young blonde kid from Arizona, out of the business, just taking people's legs out. But saying what people were kind of saying, right. you know, what they didn't want to say because it was all People Magazine. There was only magazine with People Magazine, I think. And so they were like Huge. so fluffy, the celebrities. So it was, it was interesting to hear someone say something kind of negative. If it was mm -hmm. a clever way, like when you go... Uh, MC Hammer, do, 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 it's over. <laughs> you know, mean. Uh, yeah. Julie Brown, wubba, 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 my career's in trouble, trouble, trouble. <laughs> uh, so all those were kind of funny, you do 10 jokes, and then- But, but it, remember this, and Sandler had it with uh, Opera Man, where he'd do it off the side, this and that. Then he's, he's at home base, he's doing the subtitles, and he's having pictures. So Hollywood yeah. Minute is like, okay, Hollywood Minute. And then you would have the picture of the person, yeah. and you'd be right down the lens. So like, just that just really serviced you yes. as, as a comedian. Once the crowd bought into it, then they're looking forward to it. Then I do that a few times, and then I get to a level. Then Tommy Boy came out, and then like Black Sheep, and then suddenly I'm in that sort of uh, area of being known. And then it, to me, it wasn't as interesting because I go part of the fun was it's a nobody, just right. like. And yeah. then I go, I'm in this. I know careers are fragile. I get why people feel like shit sometimes with these jokes. I don't like mean jokes about me, so I go, ah. So it, it faded out, and then that was just toward the end anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you suddenly you feel like maybe you're not punching up anymore. Yeah. They're yeah. your friends, so now you know yeah, everybody in Hollywood. Yeah, and then you see them, and then you go, I can't do that person. I did one about Aniston I felt hey, bad right. about, and then... I just said, I, this is getting stupid. Mm. MC Hammer hosted the show while you guys were there. He did the reception. He was... No, not really. He didn't. No, he did. No, yeah, he did. Well, he did. And I remember <laughs> I remember, I, I was kind of in him. my heyday. I was kind of cocky. So the writers came over and I, I was doing... I was coming in at the end of that sketch. David was Oh, yeah, I did. My first, where I go, and you are... That was my first sketch uh -huh. that yeah, actually yeah. worked. Five to one. And was I... No, Phil was Jesus. Was I an alien or he something? He wasn't... 
he wasn't that one. The first oh. one was MC Hammer. You came in as an alien, I think. An and alien. Uh, I didn't know who anyone was. And then when it came back again, it was first SketchUp. I think yeah. it was Roseanne. I think it was you, Phil as Jesus. Um, but I remember MC <laughs> Hammer was there and the writers were off the side and I was just kind of kidding around. I go, what do you guys want? You want a big laugh when I come in or you want an applause <laughs> break? I mean, you know, what do you want? I'll put it on whatever media you want. And MC Hammer coming from the streets, he just thought that was the greatest, man. <laughs> yeah, you can't right. touch this. <laughs> I got to admit, that, that song was fucking it's catchy. unreal. Yeah. I mean, come on. Dude, I think Vanilla Ice came on. I, I was rocking out as much as anyone. I mean, that song, there's, there's some toe tappers in that room. But yeah, although the parts that are actually catchy were written by someone else and then just wrapped over, right? Jimmy, I, mean, I was willing to look the other maybe. way. Yeah, you were. Okay, all right. <laughs> but then you couldn't do commercials then. Then he did a Taco Bell. You can't touch this. The Burrito Supreme. And now anyone could do a commercial. You can't eat all I this. I missed it. The 90s, I had left a lot of money on the table. Yeah. You can't yeah. do that. You're Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, that changed in you, a big way. Dan was yeah. supposed to do, isn't that a special deal for a Big Mac? <laughs> and he was like, it's too clunky. I, no. I could tighten that well, up. Oh, I had Church Lady for Taco Bell. I had, I had them all lined uh, up. Yeah. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. To get a beautiful gift, mm -hmm. you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The tricky part, Dana, as you know, yeah, figure, figuring out how to get the perfect piece at the best price. I hate to say it, price yeah. matters. I mean, yeah. Yeah. that's why I recommend for any jewelry purchase, you source it from BlueNile.com. They've been with us for a while. Yeah, Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds, David. And find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase. Some of their highest quality stand. They have some of the highest quality standards in the industry. Right. And David, whether you want to make a classic statement by gifting a white gold tennis bracelet mm -hmm. <laughs> to Sarah Sherman or, <laughs> or bring Zendaya. out... Or bring out her eyes with sapphire and diamond hoop earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts can help you find the perfect gift. David? They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions like, should I make it a diamond cut or a circle? <laughs> Those are the technical questions. <laughs> I know. Uh, oval. They fit your budget. They'll make sure what you want they can fit in your budget. Yes, it's very difficult to buy jewelry for someone because, um, you know, it's it's a subjective thing. And the, you'll be guided with the, this company's going to help you make the right choice. You give right. them a little information and they'll go, Sapphire. It's hard to roll down to your local strip mall and go, yeah, we're a jewelry store and we sell trucker hats. It's like, that's yeah. not what you want. Or sometimes they have a small jewelry kiosk inside a Denny's restaurant and it's like <laughs> they're flipping hot cakes and I'm trying to find my loved ones. Yeah. So, yeah. No, thank you. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. Oh, that's nice. So you can't lose. No, mm -hmm. just in case you got 30 day returns mm -hmm. shop blue nile today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler go to bluenile.com today that's bluenile.com this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I did a Super Bowl commercial show when I was way earlier than I should have on SNL because I had no money and they, they offered me a Diet Pepsi commercial. And then Gervitz goes, uh, all right, it's all set. <laughs> we just got to run it by Lauren. I go, why? Well, you know. We just contract the contract thing. I go, no, no, no. <laughs> well, it shouldn't be a problem. And then he goes, ah, he killed it. I go, he killed my Super Bowl commercial? Wait, was this after John and I did ours? Like, it, it must, must have, have been. been. Yeah. yeah. Did you mention that? Mark, what are you doing? Are you gonna... We're going to talk to Mark after this. But, um... can, I, can I tell a Super Bowl commercial yeah, in 10 yeah. seconds? So John and I are doing, we did one, it, it really crushed, and we're doing the second one. And it's a series of like two-second shots. We're filming in New Orleans. We're everywhere. And it's a quick thing for American Express. And our catchphrase was, yes, that. So we're in a stadium in Miami, and we got to wear Hawaiian shirts for a two-second shot in the stands. So I go in. There's 300 Hawaiian shirts to pick from. So I pick one and come out with a Hawaiian shirt, and I'm sitting there. And John goes, I'll go get my Hawaiian shirt. He goes in there. He's in there for like a half hour. He comes out, goes over to me, and goes, can I wear your shirt? <laughs> I swear to God. I go, John, there's 300 shirts. <laughs> Can I wear your shirt? You got the best one. You got the best shirt. Of course, I wouldn't take it off. I no, of course I was not. the best one. Then I did. That's how I teased John. Of course, I got the best one. I know I got it. We both know I got I it. I can imagine that you were super bummed about not oh, being able to do that sick. commercial. Yeah. I think it was 250 grand, and I... Was making about fifteen hundred a week on the show. Or something. Is that right? Is that yeah. you're making fifteen hundred a week? I made. I made. I was nine... wondering about that. Like, do you ever get paid a lot to be on I Saturday? I think Night I Live? started at forty five hundred yeah. and maybe well, left was, at twelve five. I was nine hundred because I was just a writer, and uh, so nine hundred a week to write, and then I got a fifteen hundred dollar bump if I was on. I think, and so, but I was fine with that. So I did that, and mm-hmm. then uh, it got up to, then like the second year was like. Uh, thirty five hundred a show, and then the next week, next year, forty five. So it never got like astronomical. Yeah, well, no. I mean, it sounds you know, obviously it's 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 not a lot, a lot of money. for show yeah. business, you know. But when you're dreaming of riches and you're you go, living in New York, it's pretty and, and, and well, LA. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. One thing I'd like to just insert at this point is yes. that for people to understand that. David Spade and Rob Schneider were in the ether of standups, and Dennis and I both knew them. And thought they were kind of the best guys out there. I mean, I did a lot of stand-up with Rob Schneider, and I met David yeah. before and would see him at the improv. So some people go, how did you know David Spade? Why are you doing this podcast? I go, I've known mm-hmm. him since he was a 20 And he was another one to whisper to Lauren, like, in the talent department, like, he's we, good. Like, Do you remember when you met? Yeah. Well, I was living with Kevin Nealon and Bob Duback in a, a house. Did in you ever Hollywood live with Hill. anyone who isn't famous? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't famous then. <laughs> you know, man. But uh, my wife and I had to save money to buy a house. She was working, writing speeches and was r- working for an assemblyman out in the valley. And we were, the rent was 300 We had a hot plate. And we lived above the garage. And oh. the, the, this, the dryer had no heat on it, but they just roll it for like all day long. It would roll to dry. It was just a roller. <laughs> yeah. So it was just, it had this little carport and Needle was across the way. And then I got on, pulled him in. But I met David there at that house, just hanging out. Because uh, yeah. I was a stand up, met Neil and, and loved his stand up. Loved Dana, of course. He's loved the best. Dennis Kevin, Miller. Right? Yeah. And then Dana wasn't uh, at the club as much as Kevin was kind of grinding away, but 
Dana was sort of someone I didn't get to see a lot, but I just thought was great. And then Kevin goes, hey, I got SNL. Do you want to rent my room? I'm going to be gone. I said, yeah, I need it. He heard me saying I needed a place. He goes, well, I'm going to rent my room out. So we made this deal, and I and when he came home, he was very nice. He stayed on the couch. He let me keep the he room. He didn't take his room back. But fucking Dana so Carvey tall. lives above the garage in my own house. So I'm like, holy shit. I get to see him. Dubak's a comedian. There's a writer living there. And mm-hmm. then uh, and Kevin. So when they'd come back, I would get to hear stories, not even thinking that would be somewhere I would end up. I was just like shitting that these two famous guys that I think are greater are somewhere where I get to talk to them. And so that was, you know, I go back to Arizona and, and be like, I feel like, you, I remember I saw Judd Nelson at a keg party when I was visiting LA <laughs> and I felt like I was in show business because uh. you're in the vicinity. So you ran into someone where someone that's been in a movie was, I'm getting warmer and that's how you think. And so I go, oh, I'm fucking talking to Dana and uh, Kevin and I'm at the improv. So I'm getting at least closer to what I hopefully will will do. Yeah, I was, I Dennis Miller I knew from the clubs and then he got on SNL. And then I had we went played the comedy magic club and we're driving back and then he tells me about the pressure of SNL. Christ sakes, Carmen, it'll eat you up, tear you apart, man. I mean, there's no gig like this on earth. Honest to God, I go home crying most nights. You know, you sure you want to do this thing? It's not. Don't good wish for, too hard. Don't wish Might too come true. But he was. It was incredibly told to us. This is a pressure cooker like no human being has ever ever been in. And we got it anyway. Does we, the pressure, is it ever wane? Do you feel as you get more comfortable? You feel or? steadily sick, like you have mild COVID the whole run. Really? Uh, <laughs> the whole six years I did it. You know, uh, Dennis, we'd walk in the room, he's in the writer's room. He did update, you know, but he didn't really want to be in sketches and shit. So he would he just sit some. there and yeah. uh, we'd walk in and he would, we're, we're the new guys, so he'd haze us. Uh-huh. Yeah, Chris Rock, angry black guy, is that it? <laughs> and then he'd go around the yeah, room yeah. like a shooting gallery. Tim yeah. Meadows, black guy, not even angry. You're the nice guy. What's that all about? You got nothing. <laughs> Farley, fatty, fall down. Anything else? <laughs> Sano, the cross-eyed guy. What, what's uh, what's next on the docket? <laughs> yeah, Spudley, would... zero. Where Dana? Push him off a building. <laughs> and Farley <laughs> would beg him because I was go- yeah, with Dennis once. We say, hey, Carmen, let's stop by with the junior varsity, you know. <laughs> and they're all lined up, and Farley's like, "Come on, yeah. do it," you know. And then he would do his <laughs> shooting gallery, but everyone is laughing their ass off. <laughs> You're I right. mean, no, you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Christ yeah. sakes, they're not buying that hand contorted guy, you know. But um, anyway, what about the last show? The your last Ooh, shows? I remember it. That was that was by probably the loosest I was. I think I after about a eighty shows I've got more, way more comfortable because I was having so much success and Wayne's mm-hmm. World was cooking and everything. My last sketch that I remember, I played Prince Charles, now King Charles, who oh. shrinks himself. Scientists shrink <laughs> him down to the size of a tampon so that he can oh. live in the trousers. Yeah. Oh, and, and I didn't know later there was a there was a royal in England watching this crying because it was very cruel but hysterical. He gave a speech to the nation. I should be going to a place that's very dark. <laughs> I should be shrinking into the size of a tampon that, so Jack I can live Handy? in the trousers of my... Sounds like a Jack Handy or Robert Smigel. I don't know. <laughs> but that was... You oh, but what about... Confident. Okay, 
so that's your last sketch. But what about like at the party afterwards? Was it where did someone was a toast made to you? Was there special no. attention given? I just left in the middle of the season. There was you didn't get a dance or Lauren clinking champagne glasses. There was no official goodbye. Why did you leave in the middle of the season? That was a really stupid decision. Uh, <laughs> it it was because I done I got so hot off the show, like uh-huh. too hot, too hot for my own good. Because Wayne's World. All the political stuff, Ross Perot, Church, like everything is cooking. Hans and Franz had a movie deal. So then there was a stupid movie for a lot of money. And I thought, well, I have to leave pretty soon. Anyway, I'm at a peak here. Where do I go from here? You know? Right. And so that's why, and the movie was starting at such a time, but it, you know, it probably wasn't the best choice, but anyway, it happened. But that, I got too hot off the show. And so I got offered things that I had no business doing. You know, if I had a little less heat. Do you remember something that you decided you had to turn down because you were on the show? Well, I turned down a lot of things. Um, you mean I had to turn I mean, because one I, that kills well, you. Like, would no, you not really. Post the Oscars. I love doing, doing the show, really. I, I I was developing Hans and Franz, The Girly Man Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Hear me now. Wrote that script with Conan and Neil and Smuggle and myself. And then I had uh, Tucson, which I wrote with Bob Odenkirk, which was a really funny Western for me and John Lovitz. So I had those in development, and then um, they were just trundling along. So then it was taking time, and then you're offered these movies for generational wealth-type amounts, and probably not a good idea, but too much heat. How about you? Did you finish out the season? I left... um and, and when you leave, I think the next move is back then the, the networks would probably let you try your own show, you know, like it's Spady. Right. right. And, uh, <laughs> but it, that's a big gamble. And there was uh, Just Shoot Me was a Brillstein production that was. How long? How almost, much time elapsed between Just Shoot Me and the year? Uh, I don't. I think it was the following year we did the oh, pilot. Yeah. You started okay. in 96? So mm-hmm. I was out of there at 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We did. Um, the pilot was already already shot mm-hmm. and in New York with Laura to be on the lineup. You know how that works mm-hmm. for the upfronts. Right. And they called her that night and said, we're not going to have you come out fly back home, which is so weird because they had four to people yeah. and, and they said, we want to add something to this. So Mark and Brad uh, Gray showed it to me and they said, do you think you could fit into this? And uh, it's the fifth lead, but you could make, it's a guy from Larry Sanders, Steve Levitan. And so we all talked and I thought, you know, I think this is safer. I'm with, funny people, but there's no way they're funnier than what I just came from. So they were just great actors and they were funny too. So it just mixed well. And then I got to do that. But I did a movie, like Dana was saying, I did a movie Lost and Found during that. And if you do one movie, no matter how much heat you have, it didn't work well. And that, that lost all the heat movies for I had to build up over Just Shoot Me, get up for an Emmy, up for that. a Golden Globe. Was and then, Julie Bowen in that with you? No. Sophie oh, Marceau. Sophie Marceau. Because okay, they yeah. assume, even though you're you're thinking they'll understand because someone is directing it, writing it, right. producing it. I'm yeah, just doing the best it. I can. I know yeah. the train has left the station and <laughs> we're dying here. But it's it's like David Spade's lost and found, yeah. you know. And it didn't work. I mean, Sandler told me right before it came out, he goes, hey, because he knew more about it. I knew he goes, you got to beef up your marketing because it's not um, – not testing. It's not tracking well. It's not going to open big. And I'm like, you already know this? It's a couple of days before. And he goes, <laughs> he, he, had done, he was on Waterboy at that point. It was fucking huge. So he said, try to get your guys to this. Anyway, it was too late. Didn't do well. I couldn't get another movie for three years. And, and just three years. had oh. to do well. Uh, you know, like I said, up for a Golden Globe, up for another one, up for an Emmy. And then after all that heat, you get another shot at it. And mm-hmm. so did another one. And then that worked better. And then it kept me around. But 
like Dan was saying, if you do one movie, it doesn't work perfectly. It can evaporate so much of your fucking yeah. momentum. <laughs> yeah. It stops. And it also track. can go the other way where you suddenly have more momentum than maybe oh, yeah. you can handle. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a trapped, in, trapped in paradise with John and um, Nicholas. Nicholas Cage. And that one is a long story. It's a whole novel in itself, mm-hmm. but it was still born. <laughs> it didn't. And then I'm reading Dana Carvey's Trapped in Paradise. Like Alfred Hitchcock presents, I'm like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Why am I, I the was, face of I this was movie? wandering in the snow for six months in Canada. I didn't even know what my shoots, lines yeah. were. But Nicolas Cage was fun to work with. He is a character. Do you think back on those days as like uh, now? Do you think back on them in the same way you think back on going to school? Where you, you mean SNL? Yeah, your Fond classmates. And... Yeah, I would say that yes. If you go back to your high school on a Sunday afternoon. And just walk around the high school and maybe see some of the old pictures. Whatever that feeling is. When I go to SNL, if I'm up on the 17th floor, I'll be walking down the hall and I'll see me and Phil mm-hmm. from 30 years ago. And and other pictures. And so it's very, it's nostalgic, it's melancholy, it's very odd. And but mostly as time goes on, you just you feel very grateful for yeah. it. You know, it's just it was the linchpin for me completely. Sure. Nothing would have happened. Yeah, so uh, it's just such a. I see the same thing. thing. Go back in there and you get like your heart drops. You're like, "Fuck!" You're walking in the Thirty Rock, going. Every time I walked in here, I was sick to my stomach. Like every time you're like, "Here we go." So even when you're just visiting or mm-hmm. whatever, I when I was, I only went one, one, once when I wasn't uh, hosting or something, and uh, it just gave me the same weird feeling. But I look at the photos and it's just like, "Oh my god!" There's so much going on here, and <laughs> sad. You see Phil who passed away. You see Norm. Uh, obviously Chris and you just go shit Jan and all the people you were with and you're just like lucky to still be around lucky that I had this and you see Lauren and Lauren is really fun to see because as tough as it was it was a lot in your head like he's thinking about you every day going I'm gonna squash this bug and I'm like (laughs) he doesn't give a fuck he just wants the funny sketches be on you guys fight it out we're putting on a good show and then that's just the way it's always been and uh and now it doesn't really matter, and then it's very fun to see him. And uh, I think just having been on it is so surreal because of as a kid dreaming of this secretly. Yeah. I wasn't in theater arts or anything, but watching variety shows, um, you know, Flip Wilson and you know, Laughing and all yeah. those old-fashioned ones, and then seeing Steve Martin on it. And they were badass pirate rock stars, the first cast. I was in college, and they were like, oh my God. damn, and then... Five or six years later, suddenly I'm in their chair. I yeah. it, I just felt like, don't we need someone besides me? That the minute I got it, I really felt incredibly nervous that I was going to be the one to ruin the show. That the show, I'd actually turn the lights out. The, the switch is over there, eight H. There, you just press it down because you're the one who fucking drove it into a ditch. Yeah, and that was the fear, but fear drives you. So, I would say. It's it's still. I remember George Bush Senior saying to me because we would hang out years later and stuff. We were friends. He goes, "I can't even believe I was president. I can hardly hardly understand it. Really? Like it became a surreal thing to him. Sure. Tw- Fifteen years later, I know I was in there. I pressed some buttons, made some speeches. I don't. I didn't. I very didn't. hazy. Haze, hazy. You don't think about the lead up when you see somebody. Like I remember seeing you on Saturday Night Live and just going like. 
oh yeah, there's Dana Carvey. He was born to be on this show. Yeah. He's he came out of the womb doing characters, and of course this makes perfect sense. But never do you think of the struggle. And I, boy, I've never heard anybody say anything like that about a president because <laughs> I always assume the guys who wind up president, with one notable exception, are planning for it when they run for the student council <laughs> right. in the in the eighth grade. You know, they're thinking about it way yeah. back then. He was a unique over. character. Because once you hit the president, then it's over. Then he's like, this is my whole life. And then now what do I do? I've only tried to get to this to be a president. That's so afterwards, yeah. if it's 10 years, I'm he's like, If you're an SNL it. cast member at a given point, you're an ex-SNL yeah. cast member. And I remember Fred Armisen after he left, which is, you always feel like someone is doing my job and they're doing it better than me. You mm -hmm. know, He's like, how do you deal with that? But for me, I did not have the confidence, even with... I learned later as I went along, I go, I'm a fish in water. This is actually really, I got much, much better. I'd never done sketch comedy until the very first cold opening, which I didn't even know I was in on the very first show. Wow. I just, I, when every time I got a laugh, when I was doing church chat, I wanted to turn to the audience like a stand-up. I had to force myself to yeah. stay in the scene. So I needed to learn how to do sketch comedy. And I became, uh, fell in love with it, of having Phil as, as a partner and Mike Myers and Kevin Nealon and stuff. So that, that part, instead of being a stand-up, it was just fun to be part of a kick-ass A-team. Like, everyone's great on the show. And leaving the show, like, I, I didn't go to college that much. And um, I mean, I'm super smart, but <laughs> it's Scott not- Scottsdale Community not a, College, right? Not, yeah, Were went, they the Pirates? I went what to SEC, the Artichokes. The Artichokes. And the went to Arizona Seriously. State. For Me Lino's, too. Lino's. I went there too, yeah. See, look at this You both, uh, oh, alum? Bill Hader- Moved from Oklahoma <laughs> to go right. to community college in <laughs> Phoenix. I was like, what? Like, yeah. This is where the wow. kids who didn't do so good in high I'll school I'll see here. you later, Dad. I'm going is, to Scottsdale. That's like fame, the academy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they're like, three made it. Now, 300 million didn't. <laughs> but he but, wasn't aware of you guys going through there. No, no, no but no, he. I don't no. think it, it seemed crazy to him until I reacted strongly to that <laughs> bit of news. Like, wait, you went to the... Community college down the block Jeez. from my house. Yeah. It's the from like you travel to go there. Nobody, everybody well, who goes I'm there. I'm gonna leave, with, Ma. Well, I leave you now. Like I was saying, I don't really have friends from college, but I do have friends from high school, and then I have SNL people. So yeah, I feel the same way. I don't. Yeah, I, I saw Chris Rock. I yeah. talked to him yesterday. I talked to Adam Moore, but there's guys because the podcast that you get to talk to for an hour, like Bill Hader, where I would see him at a party and talk for two minutes, but to get the bullshit is really fun and it's sort of reminiscing about SNL or about whatever we talk about but that is nice to get someone trapped for an hour you just get to catch up yeah with yeah. bill the the the, uh, the revelation was how how much nervous energy he had around that show i mean really full of fledged panic attacks all kinds of all cuz he was so great on the show you know yeah. right up there with anybody and just so nervous, and man, I don't know how he hit it, but it was a really big deal. I'm very interesting to hear about. Yeah, you wonder what the toll, what the like when at the end of it all. Like, well, I had a blocked yeah. artery like three years later, so you know. Besides my it's genetics, like COVID, where you go? Do I have long SNL? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I would go. I, they'd say three, two, one. I'd be Bush because I did so many in ones, and the whole show's riding on me, and I've got nine minutes of dialogue, and my heart would be just pounding out of my chest. But you have to try to relax with well, the church day, I couldn't after. pick up things my hands were so sweaty and I couldn't pick up pieces of paper in the early days for sure it was just too fucking nerve-wracking but we've yeah, through it's it. not just like I mean ultimately it's like you want to be funny that's the I mean, that's number one you want to be funny but also like yeah as you mentioned earlier like sometimes 
the future of your whole family is riding on this. Oh, yeah. Like, what am I going to do if this doesn't work? And if I didn't kill in the clubs, then I didn't get to the middle act. If I didn't kill there, I didn't get to headline. And then the, the middle act's trying to knock me off. I came in with the mindset of a stand-up. Like, I don't want to just get laughs. I want to levitate. I want to destroy the room right. for better or for worse. That was my... My, where I was Rape thinking all pillage. the time, or else I'm going to get fired, or I'm not going to be in the show at all. So you had to really, really strategize about that. And if people, parents, relatives, when you say you're a stand-up, that's all good and well. It's not as impressive to go, oh, I just did Gut Busters and we filled up uh, the late show Friday. Oh, I'm at Side Splitters in Mississippi. And they go, great. And then you go, oh, I'm got on SNL. Then it just perks people up. Yeah, like, it's oh, something wait. they know. And something they, works. They can easily explain to their friends. You yep, know, that like, and yeah. going on Johnny Carson. I got on once. He's been on a lot. But that's the surrealness yeah, that's of a big one. when you go on television, Carson or SNL, yeah, what it, how it affects everyone you know. And then it's starting to happen and you're starting to get famous and someone's asking for your autograph. All of that is like, you're like in a dream state in a sense, you know, it's like, yeah. wait a minute, I got on SNL? I'm actually doing well? What? You know, I, I still, I still haven't wrapped my, I can't believe I was on SNL. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's all crazy. Well, I, that crazy was, uh, stuff. Thank you, Jimmy. I love talking to you guys. That was a lot of fun. Thanks uh, for uh, you letting me. paid for the extra half hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay, good. I didn't, I have no yeah. sense of time. I don't know. I know. How, like, I just we looked, talked I go, too long. I have no, uh, it was. do it all day. Appreciate it, Jay. We loved yeah, it, and thank, thank you, you for doing this. We know you have a, a, another job, but thanks for doing it. We also have a studio up in Santa Inez above Santa Barbara, and we'd like to invite you to drive up there and interview sure, us yeah. in yeah, a couple months. <laughs> Just all over the country. Well, we'll get a, a couple of microphones. We'll tape the whole yeah. drive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, no, thanks for coming. Thanks, thanks for, for having coming me. Fly I on appreciate the wall. it. Jimmy Kimmel, ladies and gentlemen. Christ sakes, this guy goes, is everywhere. Hey, what's up, flies? What's up, fleas? What's up, people that listen? We want to hear from you and your dumb questions. Questions, ask us anything. Anything you want. You can email us at flyonthewall at cadence13.com. All right, guys, we got a question here um, mm -hmm. from Dave Castaneda. Cast guys, Castaneda, I think. Dana, not now. Not here. Not now. We're trying to start the year Look, off. I, I'm, I want to say, if I'm reading better than you, what's it say about your Wait, eyesight? Where's my shade? I've got sunglasses on. Da Dave, did I get that right? Yeah, Dave, there was an L in there. Castaneda. Love you both, and I love the podcast. This is a great question. Uh, oh, it keeps going. I like this guy's opinion. In your post-SNL years, have you ever come up with a sketch idea? Yeah. And if so, yes. what do you do with them? Garbage. Do you ever mm -hmm. share the ideas with current cast members? Just wondering. You two are the best. I like no, when they begin with a compliment. Um, you don't share them because then they would then they would score and get laughs. And where would you be? <laughs> no, I know. Some I did for a while. <laughs> I would call them in. I would say, I did. I actually did it recently. Dan Boole is a writer there that I like, and I, he's the only one I really talk to that's a writer. Okay, but I do like that idea. It was very hard when he left because the pressure was off. Mm -hmm. So you'd sometimes go, oh, here's a good angle on what's going on in the news, or here's a funny commercial parody. Or, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure it was dog shit, but you know, sometimes I'd call him. I don't think it's ever come to fruition. Even when you go to host, I don't know if you did this, Dana. You a lot of people come with a, a few people come with a writer, like mm -hmm. they they get nervous. Yeah, like if they're a comic or they're from a show, they mm -hmm. say, I'm going to bring two of my guys, Jamie Foxx or someone. You know. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a different kind of animal to go write a sketch and fit in with all what they're doing. 
they're not really against it there. They just, it's so hard to make it work, but they, a host understandably gets nervous and they go, this, these people know my sense of humor. I think I did it when I went there. I think I went in with a sketch idea. It doesn't always make it to the finish line, but mm -hmm. they definitely uh, do it. So the question is, I, yeah. after I did it with Bill Hader and he does that, he did that Italian guy, right? That thing. Okay. And then he had Fred Armisen. But you know, I, I thought I would go in and be like the hundred year old patriarch oh, okay. who would just be like but then i would mime out violent things for the guests you know you know and uh just didn't call him and say you should have someone else do that jason sudeikis could have crushed with that oh you didn't call him oh i thought no. you were hosting if you hosted you could have jumped in on that i know i was a little shy about it the one that i thought of so fairly shy. recently was the world's first sociopath which is like there must have been social paths during primitive man yeah. times. You know, during the hunter-gatherer stage. Hey, you guys, uh, what are you doing? Oh, okay. Are you hunting or gathering? Don't just sit around. Either hunt or gather or get the fuck out. And then it's like <laughs> later on, he goes, where's Bob? I don't know. Well, what's that hand coming out of the ground? It's Bob, I think. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> I hit him with a rock. Am I weird? Am I strange for one? I have these compulsions of killing things. Am I weird? And the guy goes, no, not at all. I mean, sometimes at night I just cut myself. I don't know what that means. Mm, maybe some sort of free association anxiety. <laughs> well, you know, Steve, I mean, he always waits till the grapes rot and then drinks the juice and acts, dances around for hours. I don't know. Are we weird? Sounds like I'm... <laughs> anyway, so I didn't send it to SNL. <laughs> you didn't send it for But I play. do. I had that on stage because I can only do sketches in small rooms. Right. I I killed it one night. Had it perfect. I'm a little rusty, but but I love SNL. But generally, if yeah. we had a friend there yeah, it directly, like remember when I, I had left and I told you to do Hollywood Minute? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I, I called. Actually, did one for Sandler. I, I thought one I thought was really good for Sandler. I can't remember it now, but I I said, oh, I think you'd be good at this. But uh, by the time I think I called, it was the midweek, and you know, after that writing starts, it's just too hard to start from scratch. But anyway, he did fine. Okay, thank you for your question, and let's see what sunglasses we have on next week. This has been a podcast presentation of Cadence 13. Please listen, then rate, review, and follow all episodes. Available now for free wherever you get your podcast. No joke, folks. Fly on the Wall has been a presentation of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment. The show's lead producer is Greg Holtzman with production and engineering support from Serena Regan and Chris Basil of Cadence 13. 